Watch and chat with the podcast live Thursday nights at twitch.tv slash trainwreckstv. Thank you for uh, being patient. I appreciate it. Uh, $2,400 raised so far. Haven't even started yet. We're going to start right now. 11.20. We're 10 minutes early. Works out. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, how you doing, baby? Yo, I'm so sorry that it cut into your thing. I really do apologize. I just... No, no, no. no. It's all good, man. I, th- I thought, it, you know, I wanted you here for the, uh, you know, Dr. K part. I, I think I'd be huge since you're like an intelligent, you know, well-spoken person. So, <laughs> Thanks, man. No problem. You're all good, man. I'm excited. So am I. Thank, thank you for being here. Um, <laughs> you have a great crew, man. This is fantastic. Perfect. So excuse the uh, scuffness, you know, of the podcast. That's why it's called the Scuff Podcast. You know, I, I haven't figured out, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. anyways. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Scuff Podcast 99, guys. Top left corner. Popular World of Warcraft streamer. Amazing hunter. Rank one. 64 different times. <laughs> Six foot nine. Good looking. Amazing hair. Welcome back to the show for the 15th time. One of our favorite regulars, absolutely amazing, and literally gasses me up even when I, you know, tell a joke that just isn't funny. He, he laughs for me. Hey, he, you know, he breaks, he, he breaks the ice. Welcome, Abdu to Beastie. Yeah, what's up, man? Oh, somebody. Yeah, yeah, you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah I hear you. Yeah, loud oh, and queer. Okay. I, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I gotta Yo, send up, you. Man? I gotta send you a, a headset. I'm telling you, I, I insist. Nah, I'm gonna get a headset, man. I haven't been at my computer. I literally. Have been, I'm gonna get one. I'm gonna get one. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I can just send you one because I, f- I feel like you're only using the headset for this, so I feel like it's only right for me to, you know, just you know, I'll send you one over. Yeah, no, because I'm I, I'm starting, so I gotta get, I gotta go get one. Probably gonna get right. one tomorrow or something. So I'm good. Well, thank, thank you. you I appreciate it, bro. Yeah, thanks for being with us, brother. I love you, man. <laughs> Below, Abdu, co-host, co-producer of the show. You know, absolute. You know, hey, analytics. Numbers, statistics, this guy, you know, he's the Goku of the mathematical world. You know, I'm, I'm running on three hours of sleep, guys. You know, the wittiness is really cut here. So I'm going to need some, you know, pity laughs in between. Uh, that was a banger. Was that good? That was good. Did you okay. guys catch that one? That's pretty good. I mean, yeah. you're not calling me old, so I know you're tired. Well, you know what? <laughs> now that you remind me, co-host, co-producer, you can literally look at a graph Eight months ago when you first started streaming, healthy, there vibrant, skin shining bright, young, hair not patchy at all, sitting there. It could be used in a Pantene commercial, herbal essence, fruit teas, anything. Pick one. Now you look at him eight months in, looks like he's been through six different wars, different hair follicles falling out in different areas, patches missing. It is just rough. Welcome to the show, my dear friend, Devin Nash. <laughs> It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> to the right of Abdu, diagonal, diagonal, okay, you know what? <laughs> to the right of Abdu, uh, <laughs> to the right of Abdu, another popular streamer on Twitch.tv. Um, I'm, I'm glad we brought, brought her on last week. You know, I think we all got to see a serious side, you know, a side that, you know, is very well spoken and, um, you know, confident in, in different opinions and viewpoints. Welcome to the show. Amaranth. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate welcome it. Back. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah, good to be here. It's good to have you. To the right of Amaranth, also long hair, beard. Some of you would mistake him for uh, Keanu Reeves. Maybe even the dude from uh, 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 Silicon Valley. I don't know which yet. 
Wait, are those two guys the same? Are you talking about TJ Miller, the guy that's like fucking blacklisted from Hollywood because he called oh, it a mob threat? I am so sorry. Yeah, let's just stick with Kanye on that one. Uh, yeah. Some. Oh, jeez. Yeah, this is just. Oh, we need to chalk this. We need to start this over. Uh, shoot. That's just. All right. Anyways, uh, welcome to the show. Popular, large YouTuber, amazing guy, intelligent, well spoken as well. Welcome, Moist Critical. Thanks, man. I always love being here. And you're fucking killing it tonight, baby. You're on a roll, my man. Hey, my man. See, I love that gas. Thank you. Do I need a little uh, line? <laughs> I, got, I got you. I do. Hey, Trey. You funny as shit, bro. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Man. I appreciate that. I love that love, man. Thank you. Below Moist Critical. Devin, you might need to take this one over. Um, below Moist yeah. Critical. Yeah, yeah. So we have a special guest today. Um, he is a long-term friend of mine. Uh, he is the actual CEO Andy of Rise Above the Disorder, um, the company that, or, or charity, I should say, that um, is helping gamers. Uh, he's going to tell you all about it. We're going to talk about it today. It's helping gamers get um, affordable health care when they otherwise couldn't in mental health, uh, extremely important field. Um, this dude uh, literally slept on the CLG floor while he was trying to get this charity going every single bit of his blood and sweat has gone into this organization and um he's now just finally starting to get on the map and getting recognized for doing this incredible good for people um he is my close friend i'm honored to have him here today and his name is jason docton welcome to the show sir welcome brother i appreciate that introduction Devin and train you're doing an excellent job man don't let them put you down thank you so much <laughs> I, I, I like where this is going i like that my man good stuff yo abdu you got competition here <laughs> all right that didn't work okay uh let's move on uh you know what Devin? i really like that that was you know that the way you just did his introduction versus mine like i feel like you know yours was the uh uh, uh 750 bmw and mine was you know well actually let's not bring superficiality into this but you know what i'm talking about right so you know what why don't you go and do our other special guest our amazing spe or not amazing i mean you're both amazing uh shit Devin. okay we'll, yeah. do, we'll do one each and see what what different angles we come from our next special guest okay. is a man who needs nearly no introduction. Um, he's gained a couple more viewers since the last time I've talked to him. Um, he has become a paragon for mental health in the Twitch community. Um, he has risen uh, to the ranks in analytics faster than almost any broadcaster I have ever seen. And he is doing something that no one has ever done on Twitch TV. And that is bringing um, mental health to the forefront and to the awareness of the entire community while cracking a few memes in there and making it accessible to everyone. He's helping um, thousands of people through his, um, through his work at Healthy Gamer GG. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Alec Kenajea, my good friend. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Simon. And, and thanks, Trey. Dude, if this is what the podcast is usually like, I should listen to it more often because this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like new to Twitch, but I'm sold based on these introductions. It's um, it's it's only gonna get better from here. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it gets pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. And by the way, guys, uh, for those of you uh, in the chat, if you have friends or family that you know um, couldn't make it tonight and you want them to see this, uh, we're on Spotify, iTunes, um, you know, Google, Exclamation Podcast and Chat. I think we're at uh, Devin forty thousand downloads a week. So yeah. And insane shit. Um, you guys have been also leaving a lot of five star reviews, which is really helping us in the rankings. That's a big part of what's getting those downloads. All right. So I'm going to do my introduction now, what I would have done. Obviously, there's nothing to beat that. I might need to change the server here a little bit because it's getting a little grainy. But um, I was going to go around the route. You know, I was going to go the route. First of all, I was going to start with, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, I, you know, I got to find something to call you for short, but I can't. That's like disrespectful almost because like you're a doctor, you know, I, hmm. Uh, 
I guess Dr. K is short. I mean, can I say 8K? No. Three that's... letters. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really, I can't really do 8K because that's like the. That's I mean, you can call me Alok. Uh, can I do yeah. A? Can I do O? Sure. A or A? It's A, right? Is it A or O? Is it A? Okay, you know what? Dr. K, let's, Wait, let's, let's stick to that. All Oak is two syllables. It's all not all maple, it's all Oak. Oh, I like that. Okay, well, anyways. Well, not anyways, I don't mean to dismiss. Okay, anyways. Uh, so, I'm so sorry, I did it again. <laughs> uh, so, let me... I feel like there's got to be like a class or something where they teach, you know, whether it's med school or maybe, you know, some prerequisite. Because, you know, I, I haven't seen anyone else mention this, but for me... When I look at you, it's actually the attire that makes you feel cozy to me, right? It's the trusting factor to me. Like those sweatshirts you wear, it's, I don't know what it is. The vibe of it itself is just, that's the amazing part for me. I mean, obviously your intellect and all the knowledge and wisdom you have is great. Well, it's better. All right. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. K. <clears throat> Thanks, man. Uh, no Happy that was a good intro. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's train, right? Tra- so Tyler or train. train, yeah. Train, Tyler. Yeah. Uh, ape, but I guess apes more. Yeah, ape. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, you know what, Mr. Train. He's still working on his doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I do have to. You know, well, okay. Anyways, yeah, All right. that's true. Yeah, he does. Well, I was pre, I was pre law, not pre med. But well, I was pre med originally, and then I switched to pre law because my degrees worked like that. So I have a degree in biochemistry and philosophy, and those two, I was going to use both of those to go into IP law because you know, if, like, holy. Fuck. Yeah, you have so, a biochem degree? Yeah, I have a BS in biochem and a uh, BA in analytic philosophy. And so these degrees, the thing is, they're almost like opposites, or they are opposites of each other. And with how competitive and saturated like law school is, they love seeing that distinction. They love seeing that, you know, anyways, I, I don't know why we're getting into this. This isn't about me. Okay. So anyways, bottom left, she's not here right now. Um, let's introduce her anyways. You know, I'll, I'll give her another introduction pretty soon here. But for now, um, welcome to the show. You know, she's you know, a friend of mine. Um, she's a good person. She's she's vocal, confident. You know, if she's you know, she'll, she'll say how it is, and that's one of the reasons I respect her. Uh, welcome to the show, Adept. Thanks, Trey. No problem. I um I just like opened the donation thing. We're already at two thousand four hundred dollars with a donation from Ezio Auditor for a thousand dollars to Squad L. Thank you. Jeez. Big. Yeah, <laughs> we're off to a good start. That's that's this community. You guys are fire. Good big. job. Very big. Thank you so much, Ezio. Legend. Um, that's what the kids say, right? Fire. Yeah. Lit. Lit. Okay. I, I think they say yeah. lit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or twisted. On a stack, bro. Yeah. It's twisted. Okay. Yeah. I, I've been learning the lingo. Uh, you know, playing Call of Duty with some of the uh, big boys over there in the Call of Duty section, and you know, the lingo's just it's it's out of this world. You know, it's. Thank you for lighting the fire, Twitch chat. No, no, no. It's. Th- thank you for being lit. Thank that, you for you being lit. Thank you for being lit. Being I mean, a light illuminated. Yeah. All of the viewers of those communities <laughs> say I sound like the dad. But anyways, let's get started here. Um, I hope everyone's you know doing well with, you know, obviously 2020 has been absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> absolutely yes. terrible. Yeah. Uh, and that's an understatement, to be completely honest. Um, I'm not even sure what is going on anymore. And um, yeah, Devin, go ahead and take over because I just, I'm speechless after you know, what I just said. That's all my thoughts. I mean, it's a solid point. Um, so we're kind of here to talk tonight about the importance of mental health. Um, Dr. K, it's fantastic that you wanted to join us for this. You're a huge voice in this community. Uh, Jason as well. Um, everyone here, I think, has had an experience with this. And, um, you know, I just we're kicking off the podcast with um, maybe, a, maybe a short discussion about sort of the state of things on Twitch and why it matters. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, cool. 
Yeah, Dr. K, we have you for a limited time, so if you want to kick things off, it'd be awesome. The Whoa. state of things? Um, like, um, well, okay, let's get a little bit more granular. Like, how, how has your kind of journey been so far in um, helping, like, the community? And, like, what have, you, what have you seen so far? Like, how have you been? Like, how are you doing? Let's start there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the state of things is bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <Good> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on I that. I agree with Dr. K. Right. So like w- before we get granular, let's stay big picture yeah, and just start at the top, which is that things are bad. Um, so let's just think about a couple of trends. So suicide rates are increasing. They've increased by about 33% in the last decade. The interesting thing is that that's across all ages. So 33%. The, the more troubling statistic is that's not like evenly spread across all ages. Younger people are actually killing themselves at an accelerating rate. So most of that 33% is actually driven by like teenagers and, and young people. So traditionally, the most likely kind of person to kill themselves would be like a middle to slightly old aged white male. And that demographic is changing. Like younger people seem to be more depressed, more suicidal. And like things like video game addiction, substance use disorders, those all I think are pretty much getting worse as well. And I think that, uh, yeah, so like that's the general state of things is that things are getting worse. And if you look at developed countries, like middle income and high income countries actually have worsening mental health problems compared to like developing countries. So it's a little bit unclear why things are getting bad, but Mental health has now surpassed cancer and heart disease in the United States as the leading cause of morbidity and mortality. So the disease burden from mental health is now worse than heart disease and cancer. We're number one. So things are bad. They're getting worse. Yeah, that that also one of the things to factor into that is it's also the leading cause of disability and has been for a significant amount of time. Um, the reality increasingly approaching where we see so many people struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety, that social services starts to struggle. Um, yeah, actually, uh, one of my professors, um, you know, used to have this really, he had like a way about him that he liked to shock people with everything that he said, but he could always back it up. And I think he got some kind of twisted pleasure from being able to do that. Um, but he had always theorized that the demise of of society would not be uh, something like a war, um, but more likely something related to depression, where so many people would struggle with it. Eventually, you would have an entire generation that was on this on social services struggling with these issues, and ultimately, that's where the collapse would be. Maybe still a far way out, and, and much we can do between now and then, but you know, scary to see those numbers. One of the things you taught me uh, when we were working together at CLG was that depression is actually um, contagious. And this is something that I never even thought of in this way. And I was watching Dr. K, you were talking to, I think it was Alinity about this. And I also saw your, your incredibly powerful statements about Byron, which were just, it was so moving, honestly. Like it was, it was really... Uh, something that we needed to have in this community. I'm really glad that you were here to help us through that, um, to help us as we are still going through that. And um, part of what you said there was that, that that suicide is also something that is contagious. Is that that's right? Yeah. So I mean, there, there's uh, 
like in the literature, they call them suicide clusters. Mm-hmm. But basically, um, you know, there was an uptick in suicide after like 13 Reasons Why came out. After Robin Williams committed suicide, Anthony Bourdain. It's been like pretty common in Japan for many, many decades, actually, that like one suicide when publicized actually leads to other suicides. So there's a certain amount of contagiousness to suicide as well, which is not great. I mean, it's not very well understood as to why, but um, it's certainly like a noticeable epidemiologic phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually wanted to toss something your way, Dr. K. So uh, back in university, I believe it was during a criminology class, I was learning about a doctor named Dr. Park Dietz. And he has a very famous clip where he's talking about, you know, never publicize, you know, school shootings and stuff like that for obvious reasons, because it inspires others. But it also got me thinking about suicides. And I know in certain places, if someone kills themselves, they never say that that was the cause of death for that same reason to avoid suicide clusters. Do you think that's the right way of approaching things? If someone does take their own life, is it best just not to say that was the cause? The short answer is, I don't know, right? So like anytime you're thinking about doing something or not doing something, um, there are risks and benefits. So I think the question is not, is it the best thing to do? The question is, what are the benefits of publicizing suicide? And what are the, the downsides of publicizing suicide? So in terms of the upsides, we know that it, it leads to an increased like temporary increase in suicide rate. But there's a part of me that hopes and has some faith in humanity that like, especially with someone like Byron, that we're going to get our asses in gear and do something about it. Like, would this podcast be happening with these guests if Byron hadn't committed suicide? I think there's there's also something to be said, and, and, and certainly we see it, you know, in our intake system. Uh, ever since Byron passed, um, dramatically more people that apply to our system are flagging themselves as suicidal, um, whether that included a means or a method, which means we have to take pretty immediate action or not. But it makes me curious to how long they may have remained in the state of just suicidal ideation uh, had they not seen more people, especially within this community, not just publicize this, but come together as a community to talk about this. So, you know, certainly in the way that we respond and choose to respond when we publicize these kinds of personal matters uh, really dictates what the rest of that outcome would look like. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, sorry. For me, I mean, the effect for me, I mean, I think, so I myself, you know, I have my issues and I think for the longest time I've, you know, after what happened, it just, it hit me in a way, you know, since, you know, he and I share, you know, I don't know, share is the right word, but we have the, uh, you know, similar, um, um, you know, disorders. It made me, it opened my eyes to like a possible denial, you know, a denial that I was living in and so many different behaviors and actions that I was justifying, you know, because I'm in a position to, right? We're born, you know, especially in America, this capitalistic world where money makes the world go round. And, you know, we're sitting here gaming, making what we're making. And almost since we're raised in this world where if you're making a lot of money, you must be on the right track. You would assume that any action that you're doing while making this money is justified because you're making it. When, when all this happened, the effect it had on me was, holy shit, there were so many things that I was so just ignorant to that I was falling back into different things that were happening that I just realized I was making excuses for. And it just put me in this 
even now I'm, I'm still trying to pick up the pieces and, and, and figure out where the hell I am because it's just, it's, it's been, it's been a crazy year. So I think I personally, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously I, I don't have, you know, the, the education, you know, you guys do or the experiences, um, that's giving you the knowledge or the wisdom, um, to talk about this. But for me, I think the effect of knowing and it being public actually is eye opening and, you know, allows you to step back and kind of, um, have, have, have a little deeper self reflection and process things and see, see them for what they are. If that makes any sense. I don't know. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I want to share some things. So this, this is what we call a composite. You know, I never want to share anybody in our program's details. And so if I need to communicate something about them, um, what I might do is take a couple of different people in our program and meld their stories together uh, until it's really hard to trace back who this individual is, uh, just kind of a way to keep that anonymity. But I had one person that had reached out after hearing about Byron. And one of the things that had really struck me is, is they had really identified with him and they saw him getting better or at least what they, what they could see outwardly of him getting better. And they, they felt like that gave them the strength to keep going because they were struggling with the same issues. And so to see one day that he was no longer with us, you know, was what ultimately had triggered them into this state of self-reflection of, you know, what is life? What is recovery? What is getting better? What does that actually mean? You know, that's such, such a powerful place to be in. Uh, I think we don't often ask ourselves how we define happiness in our own life or how we define our ideal reality. And this is a situation that, as tragic as it is, prompted this individual to do exactly that. What, what does it mean for me to be what I imagined Byron was? Yeah, something that I thought was pretty special. Um, so, uh, well said, I'm trying to, uh, the way my personality is, it's, yeah, you know what, uh, so, okay, I'm so sorry. So a question to Dr. K, um, do you think, so I feel like, is there, is there like a, so based on my experiences of life, I've noticed different scenarios of let's you know in this instance let's call it depression so, so we both understand exactly what i'm talking about right i feel like there is now i don't know this i guess i'm asking you for that reason i feel like there is a a depression that's caused by an by a chemical imbalance and that is the mental disorder and then i i feel like there's a depression that is a cause and effect depression mm -hmm. that, that that we aren't made a, that if your parents or or whatever you know um a guardian figure or a teacher is around you, doesn't teach you at a young age. These things get, you know, mixed up and people get confused. And an example of that is, you know, mm -hmm. um, I've noticed a lot of people, especially in this generation, they, they don't have accountability or, you know, a, a sense of responsibility. So when they make a mistake, they don't understand that from that mistake, there is going to be a period of a depression a feeling of, you know, hopelessness or anxiety or whatever the case may be. Now, this is a cause and effect of depression or anxiety. And there's ways through, you know, communication that this can be fixed versus the chemical imbalance that cannot be fixed and has to be managed through medication or 
a psychiatrist or psychologist. Would you agree with that? Or am I just completely yeah. making stuff no, up? It's situational depression versus clinical, I think. Um, like the problem is, I'm not sure how we... Because of things rather than a chemistry imbalance in your brain. Dr. K, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if, yeah. I, if I've just made this up in my head over the years or if there was like a distinction between the two or if it even matters. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit curious if Amaranth actually wants to elaborate because okay. she was like nodding and, and, and oh, sounds yeah. like she's familiar with yeah, it. No, is what he was talking about. Like, like say like for me, I fell into a huge depression when one of my dogs was like passed away suddenly unexpectedly at a young, healthy age. And so for me, I was depressed because of that. But it wasn't like a chemical imbalance to where I needed the treatment, you know, because it's like no one can really help you with that via drugs. You can make the feeling go away. But at the end of the day, it's something you have to get over with time. So like that, that's that's different rather than like being actually like I feel like mentally sick, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Right. So there are different. So, I mean, you use depression to describe both of those states. Mm -hmm. But let's let's just clarify definitions to begin with. So the first thing is that. You know, if your dog dies, I don't know if I would call that depression or I would call that grief. So sometimes mm -hmm. grief can turn into depression. Yeah. Definitely. So grief is a risk factor for a depressive episode, which mm -hmm. is sort of what we think of as a neurochemical imbalance. Now that gets even more complicated because if you look at the neurochemistry of a grieving person, it's going to be imbalanced, mm -hmm. right? So neurochemical imbalances, people think of them as causes, but they may just be manifestations of something else. Mm -hmm. So like your neurochemistry is going to adjust based on your psychology. So there are a couple of other like like almost myths in, in Tyler's question. So the second is that there's also a presumption that if you have a neurochemical imbalance, let's say like a clinical illness. So usually we call it like major depressive disorder or bipolar disorder. Those tend to be medication responsive, whereas there are other kinds of depression that are not like medication responsive. Right. But it doesn't mean that you need medicine to overcome the clinical disorder. Mm -hmm. So if you look at studies, therapy, like psychotherapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, is actually like roughly that has the same effect as antidepressant medication to treat major depressive disorder. So they're actually about the same. And if you put the two of them together, they work synergistically and work better than either one alone. So I completely agree that there's a difference between a clinical illness and, you know, let's say like depression or grief or something that's situational. The other thing that I would add is that major depressive disorder and bipolar disorder, these chemical imbalances tend to be time limited. So they tend to have a duration. So if you take someone with major depressive disorder and they get depressed, that neurochemistry like corrects itself in the same way that most stuff in our body like corrects itself. Like if you have diarrhea, like it doesn't last forever. Your, your body maybe takes a couple days to like get back to normal. In the same way, major depressive disorder is like has a particular duration. So you have episodes that last for a while. The third kind of depression is not something that's caused by an event. And this is something that we kind of see in our, in our community is people who have been depressed for years. That's not actually necessarily medication responsive. And I suspect it's like low, low responsiveness to medication. And clinically, we can call this like dysthymic disorder or something that's like what we call treatment refractory depression, which may not be like the same thing as like regular depression. 
And so if you've been depressed for years and years and years, that actually, Tyler, I think goes back to something you were saying about like the way that you were taught or the way that you were raised or fundamentally like the way that you relate to other human beings, the way that you think about yourself. These are sort of like deeper things than just a chemical imbalance. Interesting. I think, uh, so the second, uh, well, first, Emirath, I, I didn't know you were going to continue after that. I apologize if it seemed like I dismissed you. I, I, I want to oh, say no worries. that. Um, no, and then, thank you. I, I'm sorry. Um, and then the, I guess the second thing is, so the reason I brought that up, because I think the effect of that misinformation, the effect of it, I think is negative. And I'll elaborate on that. What I mean by that is, if you notice, there's a lot of people in, in today's world, um, especially, you know, in today's culture, whether it's gaming, whether it's sports, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, body lifting or body uh, uh, weight training, um, that when someone's depressed and there's a chemical imbalance or there's, you know, something deeper, they say, just go to the gym, just go here. I think that stuff comes because they themselves have that situational or whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure what word we set for that. They have that situational experience where they can overcome it by the gym because theirs is caused by maybe a grief of something that happened, not necessarily a chemical imbalance or, you know, the, the deeper kinds. So that is how they, they project that onto an actual seriously, you know, someone with a mental disorder. And I think this is where the disconnect is for the acceptance and, and awareness of, of mental health, you know, across the country or the world. Does that make sense? True. Yeah. You feel me on that? Like, that's where I think the disconnect is. I think a lot of people, they, it does not, yeah, I, I, I think I'm repeating myself. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree with that, like, uh, fully because, and then it's also, I mean, everybody's want to like be okay. Cause I mean, I, I think a lot of times people make it seem like, you know, like everything's always going to be perfect. You're always going to be in a good state. You always should be happy and everything like that. And I feel like that also has an effect on that because people's want to be okay all, like all the time, like a hundred percent of the time, which is unrealistic. It kind of, it kind of makes, it kind of puts pressure on people to like try to find these quick things or try to like, you know, project these things on other people. So, you know, so that's where like, I feel like that disconnect is definitely worse. Cause I know, I know like for me personally, like, like how Dr. K said with like trauma and stuff. Like I remember watching his streams of Recful and it made me realize like a lot of traumas that I had that like, I don't think it didn't really affect me like day to day. Like I wasn't depressed or anything like that, but it had effects with how I had like with, with my relationship towards certain people and how I moved in like certain relationships with certain people. And I didn't even realize cause it was like, it was just, it, it was just like, it, the trauma was like so deeply embedded and like happened so long ago. And it's just like, you know, you kind of just, it's like so deeply buried that you don't even realize that it's really affecting you. And I feel like mm -hmm. because everyone's always like, Oh, I gotta be okay. Or I'm fine. Or like you, sometimes you don't really have that time or people don't give themselves that time to really pause and really like, you know, deeply look into themselves and yeah. try to figure out like what's going on or try to actually like deal with these issues they have because they, they just, always want that need to be good to be you know happy or up you know like up in spirits and never sad so it's it's it's, it's like I don't know. it's crazy yeah to kind of uh, there's another thing i wanted to kind of toss your way dr k while we're talking about this subject a lot of people with what happened to uh, byron were talking about how his friends could have and should have done more what's your perspective on that take do you think there Question. was something someone else could have done to maybe help <clears throat> or is there just sometimes you know maybe you don't know or there's just not much that can be done 
I see a depth shaking her head. No, and it pisses me off. Like, I, I, I hope I didn't miss that. And I hope that that's not something that anyone here believes because I knew his friends and I interacted with Byron in the last few months. And just that theory that people have is complete fucking bullshit. And it pisses me off. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. Um, so here's there are a lot of things, there are a lot of myths about suicide. So one of the biggest myths that I've been seeing get perpetuated recently is that when someone decides to kill themselves, that's why they become happy because they've sort of made up their mind. Whereas the or the data actually disagrees with that completely. So if you ask people who actually try to kill themselves, when did you make the decision to kill kill yourself? The highest number of people actually say within 60 seconds of the attempt. So I would say it's probably like 70 to 80% of people. It's like a weird study that uses histograms, so it's hard to tell percentages. But 70 to 80% of people actually decide to kill themselves within five minutes of the attempt. Yeah. So the, the, the really crazy thing is that, like, I think what we see is actually like suicide is predominantly an impulsive decision. And so what, what was happening is if you like read some of the stories and stuff is that like in a lot of ways, things were looking up for Byron. And so I don't think it's the kind of thing like there's this idea that like you can never let your guard down. But no, I mean, generally speaking, the, honestly, the way that I think about suicide is that like people who suffer from chronic suicidality, like every couple days, they roll the dice and there's a 1% chance that the impulse takes over. Mm -hmm. And and like the problem is that if you like roll that those dice like over and over and over and over again, at some point you're going to get your 1%, right? Like it's just like a loot box and wow or whatever. Like you're going to you're going to get your orange drop at some point if you do it enough. And so I, I don't really think that there's really anything that anyone could have done. And this is the other mind boggling thing is that when it comes to mental illness, we like hold people responsible in a way that we don't for physical illness. When someone dies of cancer, like no one says, oh, there's something that someone could have done. Whereas like people don't think about, and this kind of goes back to what Tyler was saying earlier about like conceptions about mental health. People need to understand that depression is a terminal illness. It absolutely can be. Bipolar disorder should be treated as a terminal illness. Substance use should be treated as a terminal illness. And that's sometimes just what happens. I mean, you see this if you're a psychiatrist, and I'm, I'm sure Jason understands this too, but and as do all of you, actually, I'm sure. But like, you know, sometimes when people get depressed, like sometimes death is like the outcome. And that's terrifying, but it's something that we need to take very seriously. And like not blame people for like not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think... Uh... Um. If Sorry. I could for a yeah, second, please, I want to kind of relate that mentality that people have of, oh, their friends could have done more. Their friends could intervene more. They could have, oh, even if they were mad at them, they could have saved them. But let's relate that back to what um, Tyler was saying earlier about there's different levels of depression, you know, or there's the clinical and there maybe not levels, but clinical and then the situational that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so you may have experienced somebody that did overcome their depression or I, I hope I'm not using wrong terminology. I, you know, I try to be very sensitive to these things. I don't want to trigger anyone. Um, but you know, maybe you did someone know someone who was suicidal because of their, um, I think you said situational depression versus 
you may have never, ever known someone who is clinically depressed. Because I'll tell you right now, the time that Reckful and I had dinner at like 2 a.m. with Felix, I realized that was that was a depression and an illness I never even came close to in my life. And it, and it broke my heart talking to him that night because I, I just knew like I, I've never seen suffering internally like I'm witnessing what he's telling me he feels right now. Um, to, to kind of add to that piece, uh, I think one of the things that often goes ignored when it comes to depression uh, is a really critical symptom that we we often see, especially with the severe, more like a major depressive disorder. Uh, but it's what we call uh, anhedonia, uh, effectively the inability to feel pleasure, derive joy from any kind of activities that you're engaged in. When we see somebody get to this place, it's it's a very unnerving it's a very clear sign um but it's unlike anything else one of my one of my good friends mentored me for many years used to say you know he used to come into a room and he would say uh depression is worse than cancer and everybody would get really offended um because that's that's obviously not something you say and then he would kind of start to break it down of, of depression is contagious you know we see that it's contagious depression has all kinds of, of very severe aspects to it. But one of the things that often goes unnoticed is that regardless of what the outcome may be with somebody who is battling, well, battling is the wrong word, but somebody who is dealing with cancer is that they may find this point where everybody rallies around them, gathers around them, and they truly genuinely feel like they will beat this. They will overcome. Life will be better. Depression, by nature of that, seems to extinguish that very human spirit. Not only does this person not believe they will get better, but they don't think they deserve to get better. Well, uh, and uh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm no, so go, sorry. Please. I'm so sorry. No, please. I'm so sorry. I'm you're so you're sorry. very nice, Train. I appreciate you. I appreciate. I'm sorry. I, that was rude of me. But that, that is one of these things too. When we're talking about this idea of, of could people have done something? Could people have said something? Um, that's really hard to, to say. Um, would they have, would he have allowed it if that was the situation? I think so. I try to explain this as best as I can from my own, um, experiences with, with bipolar. Um, what people fail, I mean, I think the number one thing that we need to raise awareness is an education of it from people with different disorders or people in, that, that have the education to explain these things. And that's why I think you're doing a really good job, Dr. K. Um, well, I guess that's, that sounds kind of condescending. I don't mean it to be that way at all. Like, who am I to say you're doing a good job? Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, so I think the biggest issue we have is mental disorder, serious mental disorder, such as bipolar, it's one of those things where people, they try, the biggest issue that, that I've seen is the failure to relate and the need to relate. I don't think in situations like this, we don't need to relate. We need to teach to just keep an open mind and understand. And what I mean by that is for bipolar, people tend to not understand this. And I try to explain this to my community during our community streams. A lot of people they give these very surface level advices that they themselves believe that they would apply if they were in that situation. But what they don't understand is when you're in a serious depression 
or in a uh, manic phase, it's almost as if there's one, so there's one physical world and then there's an infinite amount of metaphysical worlds. It's almost as if you're leaving one metaphysical world, going into another, and your entire world shifts. Every set of logics, common sense, every single thing that was your reaction to something that happened, your instinct, everything changes in that other world when you transition. And that's why people can't relate. This is why when you try to relate, you say, oh, this is what I would have done. Oh, just do this. Oh, just do that. It doesn't work. And and it's that disconnect. Once again, I bring that up. That is, I don't know, people need to relate to understand, but that's wrong. Like we just, we have to somehow teach to have an open mind and somehow get to an area where, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm having a, it's one of those days for me where I I can't, you know, uh, uh, get my thoughts. You know, I'm having a, you know, my brain is like one big, you know, wire and there's, you know, it's severed right now. You know, there's just electrics. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But does that make any sense? Like it's the failure to understand that. That is, is preventing us from moving forward and getting people the help they need, not only through healthcare, but through support systems. It is that singular thing that somehow we need to have people understand. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah for me, I don't know that. That makes a lot of sense because I've definitely been guilty of it. Um, I actually, I actually want to ask like, you know, Dr. K, like, when someone goes or has like an episode like that, like what would you suggest that we do? Like, you know, cause me as the, like the type of person I am, like I always just like, I, I always want people to feel good around me. I always want people to be good, but you know, like it, it, when people are down, I try my best to, you know, like bring them up or, but like, it, I, I know for sure I didn't really have much knowledge on like depression and how, how that works. And I, I've definitely been guilty of like, Oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this? Like, I actually have a, like even a story with with Byron is actually crazy now that now that I think about it. Um, because I remember one. Well, this is uh 2016. We were at uh TwitchCon and we went to uh we went to like this. I think it was like a hibachi place or whatever. We're having fun. He's like laughing. Everyone's enjoying. Like you know, we just having a good time. And it was probably silent for like two minutes while we waited for our steak. And then out of the blue, he was just like, "Uh, I don't feel happy." And I'm like. It made it made no sense to me at all. I, I like, and my first thing to do was, uh, you know, at first I asked him, you know, I asked him why he felt that way. I was trying to figure out like why he was feeling it, and I started like my first thing to do was try to make suggestions, like, oh, mm-hmm. have you tried to like maybe you know travel more, or, you know, get new experiences, or like, you know, that was my first instinct. But like, I, I feel like that was just my natural thing, like me just trying to like figure out something for him to like do that may make him feel better. But cause he, he was talking about how like, you know, certain things just don't bring him joy anymore. This, and he was talking about a lot of things like that. And like, I want to ask you like, what, what in that situation, what do we like do? Like, how do we move? Like, I, I don't know. What, what do we do? Uh, actually, so just based on Amaranth's body language, it sounds like she's got an answer, but well, I don't want to... Yeah, not only an answer, but I had a similar interaction with Byron several years ago, too. He would, like, come to me telling me, like, how he's not happy. And at the time, I didn't realize how deep the illness was. I thought it was just, like, one of those valleys that people go through because everyone gets, you know, has bad times and good times. But um, over time, I realized just how 
willing he was to sink massive resources into just like an hour of happiness, like going to the most expensive sushi restaurants in town, yeah. so he can try to grasp an hour of feeling good. You know, it's like six hundred dollars sushi stuff you mentioned at one point. It's like that's insane yeah. for like just one meal, so you can have some feeling of pleasure. It's just, it's kind of difficult for people who aren't going through that to understand. So that is the first, I think, initial reaction you have is to suggest things that would help you feel better, but that doesn't work for them. Yep. So it's it's Abdu, is that right? Yes. So Abdu, it's a, it's a fantastic question. So I and I think it goes back to uh, trains kind of question or like sort of observation that like people try to help by problem solving. So you guys are gonna have to excuse me because I'm an academic and sometimes I answer questions that are not asked because that's just how I work. But so the first question, the first question is like, you know, what should you do if your friend is like really depressed or manic or something like that? So I would start um, by just try to, trying to get a sense of like what's going on with them. So before you start fixing a problem, try to understand it. Right. And like, try to get a sense of, okay, like, how do you feel? Like, how long have you been feeling this way? And then you're going to kind of get a sense from their answers, hopefully, if this is something you've been through or something that you haven't been through. And I, I hate to use like sort of a simple answer, but like the short answer is, you know, if it's like a clinical issue, it's just out of your league and you can help someone. But I think the most important thing that you can do is, is his friend or their friend is to get them to like professionals who can actually help them. Right. Because if, if someone is like so depressed that is, is trained put, puts it and that's, uh, by the way, train, that's the best description of mania I've ever heard of like alternate metaphysics with different rule sets. Thank it's you. actually a great description of, of mania. People have experienced it before, but thank you. Um, cause you know, they're just, they're playing by a different set of rules. Like they're not playing the same game that like everyone else is playing. And so the solutions that work for your game are not going to work for their game. Um, so I, I think the most important thing is to support them in getting to mental health treatment because that is logistically a nightmare. Thankfully, we have organizations like RAD. And like, I think RAD is awesome with what it does because trying to get people into like therapy is like mind numbingly difficult. I mean, we're dealing like it's just yeah. there's like insurance, like at least in the US, there's insurance, there's wait lists. Like, how do you find the right person? What if they're a boomer? There are just like so many problems. So one of the things that we actually train our coaches to do is to like help them overcome the hurdles and overcome stigma and support them emotionally into getting mental health treatment. Because there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of confusion. People are reluctant to take medication. They don't know if they're going to get labeled as crazy for the rest of their life. Like they just don't understand it. And so just helping someone emotionally like get into treatment is probably one of the most important things you can do. The second thing that I just like toss out is, is, and this kind of relates to what Train was saying, is that generally speaking, especially men tend to problem solve when faced with a difficulty instead of like using techniques like reflective listening, empathy, or validation. And that's generally speaking, as humanity, something that I think we need in our toolkit more. And that gets to a broader question of like, why is suicide getting worse? And like, what's wrong? And what do we need to do about it? Which is a, a separate question, which I, I'm happy to talk about later, or when, whenever you guys want to. But, you know, your question was like, how do you help someone who may be like clinically ill? And the short answer is, is try to get them to treatment because like, it, like, ask yourself the question, 
if someone had cancer, what should I do? Hmm. Hmm. I think. Right? Yeah, go for it. I think. Okay, so this is going to sound. It's going to sound like I'm simplifying or like re- reduce or I'm not sure what the wording is. It's, it's going to sound like I'm, uh, uh, you know, minimizing, minimizing uh, uh, the severity of bipolar or other, um, you know, very serious uh, illnesses. But I think the best way someone that is, I'm not sure what the appropriate terminology is, you know, politically, I don't want to say normal, but, you know, someone that is, you know, has healthy chemical balance or I don't know. Anyways, um, I think the best, you know, I think this is the best way, like if we're in a place where people just can't get over the thing where they, they need to somehow relate to it in order to understand, you know, like I think the best way I could explain this based on my experiences from my friends that I know are healthy and, you know, do not have a chemical imbalance is this one scenario that I think everyone goes through. So all of us have had, have had friends, right? That meet someone, whether, you know, if they're a guy and then they meet a girl or the guy meet a guy. Actually, I don't know why I'm specifying. Okay. Uh, anyways, all of us have friends that like meet someone, right? And when they meet that person and they fall into that, I don't know what you want to call it at that age, but what they define as love, there is nothing you can say to him or her. There is nothing. You could bring God himself can fly down on a chariot and provide that this individual that he's talking to or she's talking to is not the one. It is not the person. But still, still, even 10 years of friendship, that one day of knowing each other, that feeling that individual has, that feeling that is ignited within them will outweigh that 10 years of friendship and they will, they will listen to their feelings and to the world they're in now with that individual rather than listen to anything you tell them, any facts you give, any proof, anything, God himself. I think that's the best way for like someone that is healthy to understand, if they need to like relate, to understand the situation of trying to reach out to someone that's, you know, going through a manic phase or a depressive state. You know, yeah, so that, that's, that, that's kind of my thought. You know, I wish I was way more clear tonight. You know, sometimes I go through these weird, weird times. But anyways, does that make any sense to anybody? Like, if, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Does that it make any sense? sense? Mm-hmm. I think so, man. I mean, that's a pretty decent way of putting it. Like, yeah. I don't know, because I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. There's days where I'm, you know, very clear, and there's some days where I'm just foggy, so. I, I guess as a person... I've had periods of depression in my life. I've never had a period. I've never like been, I I don't think I, I I feel like I, it's hard for me to empathize with people that I know struggle through different kinds of clinical depression. And from the outside, I want to help so bad. Like I I just, I just want to like add some value or do something to make them happier. I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are in chat and in the community that have a friend or have someone that is struggling and they just feel like more than anything they want that person to be happy but do not know what to do about it and i guess um when i think about things like this i just think about like okay like we've we've done a really good job setting up the field for what for for how i guess oppressive and how difficult this problem is what do we do especially as um non-professionals and as people who who uh i guess just like can't engage this dragon in the same way, like, uh, is, is there anything besides just getting them in front of a, a mental health professional before well, I, go ahead before either of you, I just want to say from my experience with, with my bipolar and stuff. And this, this is, this is for me, right? Everyone for everyone else. That's, you know, they all have their methods that they all have their routes. So please do not apply this to anyone else, but just for me, for you to get an idea, the only way I know 
And I will tell you this, that you could actually help. And in that moment, I'll hate you. I will disconnect. I will block you. I will think you're, you know, a snake in the grass, you know, trying to, you know, come, you know, destroy what I have, trying to do some weird stuff. But it's, you've got to contact, you know, like whatever the support system is that knows them. So for me, it'd be my parents, right? And then the parents would contact, you know, my longtime, you know, therapist or psychologist. Um, that's it. There is, there is really, there is, you know, trying to empathize is very nice, but in, in, in those states of mind, whether it be mania or, you know, a depressive state, there is, I mean, this is for me, there is, if anything, it would shoot me further down because the empathy that you try to have, unless you truly, truly care where you're willing to put days aside, risk your own, you know, and that's selfish, but in that state, you know, it, it, it gets like that in, in a weird way. It's going to be just perceived in this. I, I can't explain. It's just this. It's very, so for me, I don't know if this can be applied. Maybe Dr. K can uh, elaborate on it. If this is just, you know, if this is how it is or if this is different through different people. But I think it's just contacting, uh, like he said actually earlier, a, you know, the therapist, the, the healthcare professionals, or you know, the people who can have any sort of control over that person. So parents, for me, does that make any sense? I don't know. Yeah, I just, um, I just think it's that real. Like it's that's like there is no. Yeah, I don't know. No, I, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. The biggest thing I think though that would help a lot is what you said earlier is just increasing the awareness, right? Because when I did it. I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of how depression works. I wasn't aware of like how it can affect someone. I wasn't aware of how someone may feel when they, when they have these episodes. So it's like, my first thing to do is like, Oh, let me try to help because naturally when someone's down, if it's not like someone, if it's not someone that, if it's someone that doesn't have depression and they may just be feeling down or may, they may just be going through something, you, you, you know, you're usually there and you try to help them out and do things to bring it off. But when it's, something like depression and is like you, you I don't have I don't know what I don't really know much about it so my first thing to do is what I would naturally do in most thing in most cases which is try to solve or try to help or try to suggest things so I I, I think the better the first thing is like to increase the increase the awareness for sure because it's like people aren't aware of how it may affect people people aren't really aware of how serious it is so you know, they just take it like, oh, he's just going through, he's just going through something right now. Oh yeah, he's just, he's just feeling down right now. He'll be okay later. Uh, you know, okay, let me just try that. Let's see what's okay. Let me dig deep and see what's what's going on with him. Okay, yeah, if he just does this, he'll be all right. But it's much deeper than that. Yeah, I think f- from from my experience, and, and and that's a really amazing point because that's what we tend to see so often. But from my experience, what has been really helpful for people that come into our program, typically a a friend will reach out, somebody will say, hey, you know, uh, my friend has been struggling with this for a long time. They they really want to get professional help, but they can't afford it. Is there any way that you can see them? And, you know, we're that's effectively what we do is we provide free mental health care. But there's always that question then of, okay, so how do I convince them that they need to see help or to seek help. Part of that is kind of like a, a bait a little bit to to convince somebody that they need to seek help is, is already kind of an interesting approach to it. But for those that are looking to help a friend, that encourage a friend, I typically tell them to give them three different choices. So uh, if you're talking with somebody, um, ask if they need you to listen to them, 
to give advice or to get involved um, and continue to create that dialogue and, and that relationship where you are available in, in that capacity. Do they just need to, to talk with you? Great. But if you tried to get involved and they just need somebody to listen to them, well, that, that, you know, is obviously going to push them away because when they do need your help, they assume that's how you're going to respond versus if they really wanted you to get involved directly with what was going on and you just gave them some advice, um, they're going to feel like you just didn't really meet that, that need when they needed it most. But I keep that dialogue open and regular and checking in with those people. And that one day where it's, I, you know, I want to get some advice from you. Yeah, I, I would seek professional mental health care or I need you to get involved. Okay, well, let's sign up together. Let's do this. Um, I, I think the most dangerous, and Dr. K, this is more so directed towards you because I'm not really sure. I've kind of just, you know, assumed this based on my own experiences, but um, I feel like it actually, there is a, I don't know what the wording is, a concoction, but th th there is, so correct me if I'm wrong. I believe bipolar is one of the disorders where you can actually be self-aware of the disorder to a degree, right? Like obviously when a phase comes, you believe you've, you know, you've had an epiphany, you've woken up from some sort of slumber that you're in and this is the real you, the new you and everything you work for. Mine's a little different because I have some split personality mixed in. But um, the, the issue is when you mix that self-aware in with someone that is highly intelligent and high, high functioning with bipolar, there is virtually, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't want to give, you know, uh, any wrong information. So I'm happy Dr. Case here, but there, it is very hard to do anything other than, you know, find a way to directly get him to the parents or get him or her to a healthcare professional. Cause when someone is aware, you know, efficient, uh, uh self-sufficient, high functioning, intelligent, and has these disorders, it's, it is like, that is a rest. And, and that, you know, in a lot of situations, you know, that's the case. And at least from my experiences and, you know, dealing with my stuff and, you know, the different people I've met throughout my years of, uh, you know, um, man, uh, you know, management training, whatever you want to call it, therapy ma management. Um, that is this, is this real or have I just made this up as well? As far as like the high functioning goes, the intelligent mixed in with the bipolar and the self-aware, like doesn't that build, like don't all those things add up and build this even deeper denial that you have some sort of control that you can find the, you know, indicators, you can control it. And that is when you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And that is when you start, you know, pushing everybody away. You don't need their help. You know, you have to be in this certain corner and this, does that make any sense, Dr. K? Or, or, or I think sure. So let me just make sure I understand your question correctly. Yeah. So the first is that like, you're talking about awareness and you're talking about intelligence and whether awareness intelligence can make it harder for other people to get through to you and make you more self-reliant on like coming up with your own solutions, even though you're kind of wrapped up in the illness. Yes. It pushes. Yes. It allows you to push that denial de or uh, push the narrative. Yeah. So, so there, there are a couple of things there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's another important myth here that I, I think I need to dispel. The first is that don't assume that just because it looks like you're not helping, you're not helping. So just to, to piggyback off of, of one of um, uh, Jason's ideas. So I'm just going to share a story with you guys. So, and then I'll get to your question if that's okay, Train. So I, I had a patient who was going to commit suicide. So they decided, like, I'm going to kill myself. And then 
uh, they were about to kill themselves, and then they decided before they die, they want to have their favorite candy bar. So, like, I'm going to at least do one thing before I kill myself. So, like, you know, the clock starts ticking at five minutes. They go downstairs. They go to the, the grocery store that's, like, literally right next to their house. They walk in. They get the candy bar. They stand in line. And the cashier gives them, like, this really great smile and says, like, have a nice day. And it's, like, this very genuine piece of human interaction that somehow did something. And then, like, my patient decided not to kill themselves. Yes. And so I think one of the, the biggest myths that we have is that people, when we try to help someone, just because they don't accept our help or they appear to reject us doesn't mean that it isn't important. Like if you're sick with the flu and the friend says, hey, do you want me to bring you chicken soup? Even if they say, if, if you say no, you still feel good because like someone cares about you. Yes, that's so important. Yes. Right. So like that's if people awesome. are asking, you know, what yeah. should you do? Just because your friend is rejecting your help doesn't mean that it isn't really fucking important. Can I swear on this podcast? My man, <laughs> listen. Hey, hey, my man, Dr. K, listen, you have no idea the den you've walked into. Okay, you can do uh, Hey, you're sorry, lucky. We're trying to keep yeah. this PG only for you, our sponsors. You are very lucky that this is, you know, well, okay. you know yeah. My I bad. Was, yeah. Dr. K. Let's put it this way, okay? It is a literal miracle, like a Christmas miracle, like train wrecks Christmas miracle, that we haven't got into di- any conversation about dicks hey, yet. If we're a little closer, if we're a little closer, I'd drop some, you know, I'd be asking some, you know, and anyways, continue, sorry. Wait, Devin, <laughs> were you being serious? <laughs> are we actually trying to keep it PG? No, we're not. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, because I said like three in a row earlier. No, no, of course not. Okay. No, like. So, um, yeah, so don't don't assume that just because they're rejecting your help doesn't mean that your help isn't doing something to them. Mm-hmm. And and this is the really tricky thing is like, sure, a lot of people kill themselves, but a lot of people don't. And if we think about it, like, why is that? It's because like those people on some level is as their friend, you may be getting through to them, right? Like it's a very dark place that they're in. And like, even if they say like, no, I don't want you to come over, you could be like all it takes to just, you know, keep them waiting or like keep them fighting or keep them waiting until tomorrow. So I think just because someone rejects your help doesn't mean that offering help isn't important. And I really loved Jason's. um, So I think there's a really good, like the way that he framed, you know, ask them like what they need instead of giving solutions, meet them where they're at and sort of ask them, do you just need someone to listen? Do you need someone to provide advice? I love that. Or do you need someone to get involved? The phrasing of that is, is really masterful, Jason. Going to, to Train's question. So like there's a, there's a particular quality that we call insight. So insight is the ability to like understand what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. That actually, especially when people are, are manic and, and mania is notorious for this, they actually have very poor insight. So like you said, like you enter this different metaphysical realm where you, where you understand everything and you think you know everything. But one of the features of mania is that you actually have poor insight. You don't understand that like what you're saying doesn't apply to the world that we live in. That's why it's dangerous. Yeah. That's why it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, so, so there's uh, insight is like really, really important in mental illness. Like, so to help people understand, for example, like if we think about alcoholism or other addictions, a lot of people, when we think about denial for addictions, that's a lack of insight. Like the person doesn't understand that there's a problem. 
And so a lot of times with depression, like people, like they may have lived with it for so often, or it's been like so normal to them that they may not even realize that they like have an illness. And sometimes with some of these things like OCD, I think is a good example because OCD is something that has a colloquial like meaning. It means like people are a little bit anal retentive and hyper organized. That's not what real OCD is. And so right. some people like sometimes I'll, I'll meet someone who's got OCD and they just don't understand what that is because they thought OCD was being like making sure all of your pens are like lined up properly. Yes. I'm happy um, to clarifying this. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think insight is a very important, like it is a very important quality of mental illness. And usually in severe depression and severe mania, their insight isn't really there. Um, you kind of lose insight. Another really interesting tidbit about insight and suicide is that rapidly increasing insight for chronic diseases sometimes increases suicidality. So if you gain too much insight, like if someone is, gets diagnosed with something like ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, that leads to a lot of suicide because they quickly understand what their life is going to look like. Mm. And, and the interesting thing is if people have more gradual understanding, so if you look at things like Parkinson's, you kind of want to give people like a little bit at a time because they can't like take it all. Right. And, and even as, as a friend, like sort of what Jason is kind of talking about, I think leads to sort of a gradual insight because you start and you say, okay, do you want me to just listen? Do you want me to advise? Or do you want me to get involved? And if you think about it, like if they don't understand what's going on, they're going to say, I want you to just listen. And then you're going to do that. And then the next day you ask him the same question. And then on day three, they're like, maybe you should advise. And on day five, they're like, maybe you should get involved. Right? So like, stay with your friends, meet them where they're at. Like train is saying, if things seem like really, really whack, get other people involved. This is another thing that we teach our coaches. Don't worry alone. Like one of the biggest problems with the world today is that people worry alone. Like depressed people worry alone, friends worry alone, just like don't worry alone. Run it by someone else. Just talk to someone else. If you don't know what to do, if you're like, I don't know if I should like call 911 or like, you know, call their parents or what, like, is he going to be pissed at me? Just write, like talk to someone else. Like you should lean on someone else and get someone to like think through, hey, this is a problem I'm having with a friend. Just get like any other human being. Yeah. And yeah. oftentimes that's enough to like, they're like, oh, yeah, it, I mean, you should really get someone else involved because this, this sounds like really scary. Yeah. I kind of want to build off of that, too, because another thing that I tend to see is I get the friends that reach out and they say, look, I really care about this person. They're struggling. I feel like I can't help them. And I feel really terrible about this, but I, I'm starting to kind of resent them for not getting the help, for not taking care of themselves. They're they're burning out. Um, you know, caretakers fatigue is, is something we see quite a bit within our profession. And, you know, it, it's very interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much a, what you call a Rogerian, a person centered, uh, mindset. It's, it's a modality in, in psychotherapy, uh, very philosophical style, uh, modality. But, you know, I tend to see people in regard to their level of what's called congruence who the person wants to be versus who the person actually is. And as those two pieces split within that gap is so much of this suffering. Um, now that can really apply to a lot of different points brought up. Um, but to the point of wanting to be the person who 
provides all of the solutions for somebody and is always there for them versus needing to simply take care of oneself can make that fatigue even worse. So it's, I, I think, worth being mindful of that too as we talk about things like uh, building insight and, and understanding where somebody is and wanting to be that friend that is the support system and wanting to provide so many solution-focused efforts that ultimately it, it tends to topple both people over um, if they're not taking care of themselves. And then you just end up in our program right alongside your friend. Um, well, I'm happy to see you either way. So. I think um, to help, you know, a little bit, to shed a light on maybe what some individuals go through, you know, it's, 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 it's what I go through at least. So for, for mania, you know, I, I can explain that um, a little later. Um, but as far as the, the depressive states, I think it's important to have, you know, at least a little bit of a, a eye-opening awareness of, of what the person might be going through. Like I said, this is, you know, I'm not sure if it's, you know, the same for all or if it's different for each, depending on, you know, their life experiences. But the extreme lows that you end up in, it's, it's like you're in a waking nightmare. You understand? It's not only the, the crippling effect. It's so the best way I can explain this is I'm sure all of us in chat, everyone here has had a nightmare. Now there's a moment in that nightmare. There is a millisecond or maybe a couple seconds where you become aware, you become conscious that you're, you, you're in this nightmare. And you're telling yourself, wake up, please wake up. This, this can't be real. And there's this feeling, this, this, this impending doom that is just surrounding you, a black cloud that is over you. And you're just in that moment, you are at its mercy and you are hoping that this is not it. This is not your reality. This, you, you need to wake up. You know, what did I do? You know, well, et cetera, et cetera. Now, for me, at least, when I'm hitting deep, deep lows, that's where I'm at, but it's at a constant. I'm not waking up. There isn't, it isn't lasting two seconds. I'm in that for a moment of time that feels like an eternity. And you go into areas and you, you go to these extremes where this cannot be it. And that's when, you know, at least for me that you, you start going into, uh, you know, yeah, like areas. Yeah. So like, that's the best way I can try and, you know, allow, you know, I know earlier I was talking about people try to relate too much and they, they just need to understand and keep an open mind. But if you guys want any sort of ability to try to relate, that's like the best example I could give. It's like being in a waking nightmare that you know, you know, deep down, you're hoping to wake up from, but you know, deep down that you're not going to. And it is the, it is just absolutely terrible. It is just, <laughs> that's for me. I don't know if that's something for everybody. I'm sure it differs based on, uh, you know, how they perceive the world. But for me, that's where it is. And it is just yeah. absolutely crazy. And on, on the other end, you know, the extreme highs for someone that has no chemical imbalance to feel the extreme highs of maybe of mania or other things. And I believe Dr. Kent, I'm not sure. I'm still confused on this because I feel like different psychiatrists and psychologists I've talked to have described that mania isn't always a high. It, it can also be like a depressive man. I don't know. I haven't fully grasped what all that is specifically, but anyways, in, or, in order to reach where someone with bipolar reaches for their highs and lows, like a normal person, like I said, do not do this. Please do not do this. Don't like try and see, okay, do not do any drugs. Please don't. Dangerous, bad for you, terrible. There's no end. There's no, you, you, you get nothing. You win nothing. It's all, you know, it's please no drugs, guys, ever. But someone would have to take, you know, a lot of 
an upper, to feel the highs of, that's what causes the denial. That's what causes the, the not listening. That's what causes the, you know, the tunnel vision into whatever you're doing that makes you feel that good. It's this unrealistic expectation that you finally met, but it's, you haven't actually met it. You haven't, you don't actually have it. You're tricked that you have it. And that's why everything else besides that feeling is just so underwhelming. So now you're living life every day, let down until you feel that again. But the problem is every time you feel that it is the most dangerous thing. That is when something's going to happen that you can't go back from. And you don't, you don't snap out of it until you hit a rock bottom. And the problem is you, you'll never know what that rock bottom is going to be. I don't know. Does that make any sense? I feel like I just rambled again. I'm so sorry. Like there's so much venting I need to do. I'm, I've just been stuck. You're making a lot of sense. Yeah. You're making a lot of sense. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. It makes a ton yeah. of sense. And, and yeah. when you're talking about drug usage, uh, I, I think that that's probably more known within, within my social circles, my understanding of drug usage and different medicines. But it, it, it is interesting the way that you describe it, especially excessive drug usage does tend to lead to that untraveled place where people set almost a new normal for themselves that's hard to escape from. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I, have, I, I kind of almost want to look at that in the light of, of any kind of mental health issue um, beyond what a substance can do is, you know, so much of, of what we're generally talking about and, you know, experiencing things like this for so long, that's, that becomes their new normal. They're, they don't really even sometimes have the insight as, as that's been brought up that how they're feeling and what they're experiencing isn't how it just is. Certainly substances, some substances can make that worse. Did, were, are you talking about any particular substance? No, no, no. I wasn't referring to substances causing this. I was saying that in order for someone to be able to understand that doesn't have a chemical imbalance, that uh, some of the mm-hmm. highs and lows that someone with bipolar or you know other mental illnesses uh, reach nat- just by themselves naturally, I guess if that's the word, they would have to take these substances. I was I was referring to that people with uh, these mental disorders, the highs they reach, they're not real. It sets it sets this expectation that anything that you love, true happiness, has to feel that way that you feel in that moment. And since what you're feeling in that moment is a trick, it's not real. It's 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 this thing. And, and the crazy thing is, I know this, but every time I go to it, I'm I'm I don't know why I'm I I get tricked every time, but that, that's why everything is underwhelming. That's why everything else underneath that is underwhelming. But the problem is you're stuck in this like paradoxical situation where, or I don't know if it's paradoxical or if it's contradictory. I don't know the, the difference in this context. The problem is you attribute happiness and success and good feeling to what you feel in your highest point when you have bipolar. The problem is when you attribute it to that, you will never meet it. And since you've attributed it to that and you don't meet it, you convince yourself that nothing, even things that if you didn't have this disorder, you would understand this is happiness. You know, happiness comes and goes. There is no constant state of happiness because as human beings, right, we're designed in this way where, I don't know, it's a fucked up way in my opinion, but where happiness, you know, once you have it, it becomes normalized, it becomes your new norm. So like there's no actual, I mean, I guess that comes from some sort of discipline or maybe the way you're raised to appreciate it and understand it no matter what. I don't know. It goes into a deeper, way deeper thing. Um, but the point, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is one of the most dangerous things, at least for me, is it's, it's that. It's the trick that your mind plays on you of the high that you reach, that happiness feels like that. The problem is that's not ever reachable. It's not a realistic place to ever hit in anything in life. So the only time you find what you believe to be, even though when you're not in the, you know, state, you know, it's not it, but every time you're in the state, 
you convince yourself that that's the only, that feeling, it needs to be reciprocated in the other area if you've truly, if it's truly for, uh, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Am I making any sense, Laura? Or am I just in my head? Because I'm closing my eyes now ranting. So I know now I'm just like talking oh, to myself. Yeah. You're making sense. And then also like if you're taking drugs all the time and that's what well, is becoming your new normal. Well, I'm not talking about over you or anything like that. The your new normal when you're sober is going to feel terrible. Though. I think I just need to talk to Dr. K one of these days. I, I think I got a session because I, I feel like, you know, I got to, you know, I don't know if I'm just, I want to be as responsible as I can be. And that's why I'm happy you're here. There's a lot of things you clarified, such as, um, uh, the, the small acts of kindness, you know, not trying too hard to be there, just being there, doing the, the small little act has changed an entire, you know, uh, pathway in that person's life or, you know, mm -hmm. fate or whatever you want to say. Um, to kind yeah, of, yeah just know. to kind of speak on that, there's one thing that I definitely wanted to bring up while we're still discussing this topic is what role do you think, Dr. K, do like hate comments play in someone's mental health? Because that's something you see a lot with mm -hmm. Recful in particular. You know, people were harassing him or something. What role do you think that plays in someone that's already born? after this? I think Dr. K has to leave. I think we've hit the. I think, I think we're past. I'm mark, okay right? sticking around for, for a little while. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, that's what. Yeah, right, no problem. So, um, I I'd love to also just talk about like general mental health and and what's happening in our community. Um, yeah. But uh, Moist, you know, I I don't mean to keep doing this, but I'm I'm kind of curious about punting that question to actual streamers, right? Because they're the ones that get the comments. I'm happy to answer it. Uh, but I, I think interestingly enough, I don't think I'm actually as qualified as like some of the people who stream because y'all are the ones that deal with the hate comments. So even like, you know, what do, what do hateful comments do to you? Well, yeah, I, so it is much more of a personal thing for me. It's not something that I dwell on, but for somebody else, that could be something that ruins their entire day and their entire mood. So I guess more so the, to broaden the question a little bit is, in your line of work, how often do you see people coming to you because, you know, maybe they're getting, you know, bullied online or something like that. They see a couple comments here and there and it really just affects them in a big way. Because I think on the internet, there's this disconnect. When you have this anonymity, a lot of people are going to be a lot more vicious. They're going to say a lot of mean things that they wouldn't say if their name was attached to it, not realizing it's going to an actual person who will likely see those things. Right. Yeah. Does somebody else want to chime in? Um. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I don't really have much to say, but I, I kind of feel, I, as far as the hate comments, I mean, I, I I haven't experienced hate comments on like a grand scale, like some people, um, so I couldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to relate to that, but like, you know, just in general, I know for me, hate comments on when people are negative is weird because, uh, when, when I, whenever I would get like negative comments, it was always, at first, I think it bothered me, but when it stopped bothering me, bothering me was when I um, went to like convention and everyone was nice. <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't get one hate comment. It, it was actually the crazy. I, I didn't get one negative person. I didn't get like nobody at all. And then yeah. when I came to, uh, you know, when I come back to Twitch, then it's like all of a sudden you have all these, you know, some people that are negative, some people that want to say this or say that. So I, for me, it, that was kind of like a very relaxing thing for me, especially when, when I went to like, when I went to uh, conventions and since then the hate comments, are, I, I don't know, they don't really bother me at all. Right. I actually right. use it to like you know, have fun with, but. Well, in regards to TwitchCon, from what I would think, this might be too general, but I would think that the people who are the most toxic are the most unhappy. Their life's not going mm -hmm. the way that they want. So they yeah. wouldn't have the money or the ability to go to TwitchCon. You're going to get the people who are more integrated into society, have success, 
have good social relations. They're the ones that come up and they're willing to talk to you and say hi. I feel like the worst of the people aren't the ones going to conventions, typically, or at least not the ones who are willing to come up to you, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a little different. Um, but as far as hate comments, like I'd probably get like between me and Train, we probably the most. Uh, he has different type of hate True. comments, but I get a lot of hate comments just daily across every single platform. And I'm not really sure anymore how it affects me because I've been doing this for four years and I have so many platforms like Instagram, you know, Twitter, multiple of those uh, YouTube's Twitch. Like I'm just constantly exposed to hateful comments. So I feel like in a way, I've convinced myself that it doesn't bother me anymore, but maybe that's also unhealthy. Maybe it actually, like, mm-hmm. there's some kind of deep, hidden, fucked up thing that's done to me. I'm not really sure. I yeah. know it has, right. it, it, generally, it generally makes me skeptical of good comments that I've noticed. Like, when people are do compliment you, I'm like, do you actually mean that? Or are you copying and pasting that to every, every other girl you see online? Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's like the... It's like that song, right? The love be so fake, but the hate be so real. That's how it kind of feels a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I also have to look at it, though. Like, is the hate really real, though? Or are they projecting? Because how can someone come into a chat, knows nothing about you, doesn't know what you do, and just hates on what this image they have of you in their mind? Mm-hmm. So well, even that could not be real. That could just be them projecting because they're unhappy in their life, you know? So I'm not really sure. For me, I, yeah, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, but like for me, it definitely bothers me, but I get kind of angry at the person sending the message. Like I get mad at them, like, cause I've been there before where I hate on people randomly online because I grew up on the internet. I started playing Counter Strike at like nine years old. So, you know, I'm very integrated into the culture. And it just bothers, it bothers the hell out of me. Like, especially cause I, I feel like a lot of them are, older you know than i was at that age doing dumb shit online um and i'm just like damn dude like do you really not have anything going for you in life that you had the time to come in here think that hateful shit type it out and send it you know because even i notice when i'm looking at somebody and i don't like them or what they're doing like uh, next page going to somewhere that i like being you know Like, I actually want to elaborate in your hand, though. Like, like, think about that on your point, though. Sorry, not, not to interrupt you. No, but you, on the fact that, that you said that, that reminds me, like, you have the entire knowledge of human history and all kinds of entertainment you could want in the power of your hand, like mm-hmm. right in your hand. And you choose to go to someone you don't know and insult them and hate on them. It's yeah. Like, really? Like, that's the decision you make? Like, I think it's one life you're given. I think it's because, I, go, I'm sorry, Abdu and then uh, Dr. K, go ahead. Uh, okay. I, I actually want to elaborate on what uh, Amarin said, because it's, it's actually crazy. I feel like now that she said that, I, I remember I, I said this on on, uh, on this podcast, like, like, I think a little while ago, but I think all of us are a little fucked up because <laughs> I didn't realize it until I remember I streamed with, uh, I don't know if it was... It was one of my family members or something, and they were reading chat, and their head was. It was like we were in two different worlds. It, and I feel like streamers, we are really messed up because like we naturally have like this shield that we've built when we're streaming. Because mm-hmm. when I stream with like my family member, it was like, what the? They just say, "Yo, you gonna let him sit?" And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, it's Twitch. And they're like, they're just looking at chat like, what the? They just said that. Why did? How are they talking to you like this? Why are they talking to this? And then they are going crazy. And I'm just here like, eh, Twitch chat. And that's how and I lost all my friends. They yeah. stopped wanting to stream with me. Yep. <laughs> exactly it's, right there. We're desensitized it, to it. it. 
And yeah. I think we can justify yeah, it by getting paid for it, right? It's like, well, this is a job. There's things you don't like at every job. And then yeah. a lot of us are like, well, I mean, there could be an annoying Karen at work too. So these are basically like thousands of little Karens that I can also ban. So it's like, we kind of justify it that way. But yeah, to other people who aren't used to it, they're like, what the fuck is this shit? How do you live with this? And you're like, yeah. well, I ain't paid, so. It, it makes you realize it. Like, because I, I, didn't, I didn't really realize it until I stream with someone that doesn't stream it and uh, they're just reading chat. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, you realize. I warn everyone I before I stream with them, like, okay, so any insecurity you could ever come up with in your head, they're going to uh, say it in the chat and 10 times more. And even stuff that doesn't make sense, they're just going to say like whatever they can to make you mad or, or hurt or upset. Right. Exactly. I think it goes way deeper than all of that. And I'll be very short with this. So Dr. K can get to his original point that he had like 15 minutes ago. But I think we're in a different time, right? My time was one of the last generations where we'd go outside, we'd bike with the friends, go ped, scooter, you know, uh, you know, have neighborhood uh, little crews and friends and, you know, uh, go to each other's houses. And in those days, we got our teenage angst or edginess out, you know, by TPing a house, uh, doorbell ditching, you know, things like this, right? In this technological world, I think what we have now is we have the ability to have an account, you know, to be able to have, to allow maybe your angsty alter ego to come out because there was no accountability. There was no punishment. You're sitting here behind an anonymous account. And now you can kind of let out some of the things that you know you could never say publicly. You know it's wrong. Like, I really believe that these people that come in and say these terrible things, I know they know it's wrong. They would never do it. I promise you they're going downstairs mm -hmm. and they're being very polite to their parents. They're having a nice dinner. They're very nice kids. Oh, their parents but, are saying that shit to them that they're telling nah, us. Nah, nah. I don't think it's like that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that this when is just that. like, this is the new age run. This is what... This is what it is, right? I mean, imagine back in the day, you had a way to be, be completely anonymous. N you know, no one, nothing will ever come back to you. You can sit there and just like, just, sh I don't know. I, I think it's just a different time that we're in that leads to that. The problem is what comes from the parents, in my opinion, what the parents, you know, might fail to teach or maybe don't understand to is the line of too far, right? I think bantering, having a little fun is good. The problem is some people take it too far and that farness is what leads to actual serious, like, uh, uh, hurt to anyone. So anyways, Dr. K, continue on, on, on the previous points. I apologize. No, I mean, I, I really appreciate everyone's perspective. I, I think, you know, you all keep on asking me questions and I, I appreciate the respect, but let me just start by saying, I, I don't think my opinion is any more or less valuable than any y'all's just because I have medical training, right? So sure, like if we were talking about definitions of depression and things like that, maybe Jason and I are a little bit more knowledgeable, but I think it's clear from Train that, you know, his personal experience of bipolar, I think is just as valuable as my clinical experience of treating bipolar in terms of like raising awareness and understanding. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot listening to everyone else. So kind of just my take on the question is, is, you know, like Moise, you asked, you know, what effect does toxicity have on people? And I, I think, you know, you can hear it from the different streamers. So I think it does a couple of things. The first is that, so when it comes to people who aren't streamers, sometimes I encounter it. So generally speaking, what I encounter has changed drastically over the last couple of years. Um, and so most of my practice used to be like dealing with people who had like jobs and stuff like that. But what I found about, especially with like online bullying is like, in some ways it's way worse. And the reason is because like, I used to get bullied all the time in school and then school would end and then I would go home. And then I wouldn't have to see the bully until tomorrow. And even then, like most of the time I'm sitting in class, it's really like 
research and lunchtime that I had to be careful. And that's changed now, right? Because uh, like Amaran said, everything is, is right here, which also means that the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning is you open your phone and you see like hateful messages. Before you go to bed at night, open mm -hmm. your phone, you see hateful messages. Yep. So sometimes, I mean, that is just psychological torture that you can't get away from for some people, especially teenagers. Like sometimes like that results in actually like suicide and things like that. I mean, cyberbullying is terrifying because you can't escape from your bully. So, so what effect does it have on people? So if you're young and unprepared, you get owned, basically it, it tears you apart, right? Like, so we have, and this is also like kind of a broader thing about social media. So as human beings, we have a sense of self-worth. And generally speaking, that sense of self-worth somehow correlates with the outside world. So imposter syndrome is when the outside sense of self-worth rises way faster than the inside sense of self-worth. So there's a discrepancy where like suddenly everyone's treating you like you're the hottest shit and you don't feel like you're the hottest shit and then you feel like you're an imposter. The opposite can also happen where like you can have a good sense of yourself and everyone's treating you like shit you can sort of like start to question that and then you can be concerned about it. You can start to believe it. I think what tends to happen with most streamers is that they learn to adapt. Like it's like the ones that survive are the ones that learn how to psychologically protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And usually it's through a couple of things. One is that they separate their identities. So there's Dr. K and there's Alok. And the way that I can sleep at night is the person that they hate, or I tend to be pretty lucky so far. So love is Dr. K. And I'm just all oak. And so like the hate doesn't apply to me or the love doesn't apply to me. It applies to like my streamer personality and me as a human being is like somewhat separate. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like invalidating their criticism in some way by like separating out identities. The other thing that happens, which I think is, is probably true is that, you know, like people are saying, they recognize that there's like, it doesn't make sense for them to really hate the person that you, that you are, right. they hate some slice of what they think you are. Yeah. The hate isn't even, you're just like, they're receiving it. That doesn't mean that yeah. it's psychological, isn't psychologically damaging. Like, even if it's unfair, it's still got to be awful. Right. And you can put up walls and stuff like that. And I do think that that leads to, um, I'm sure that leads to psychological consequences. And in the worst cases, honestly, what it looks like is something called complex PTSD or CPTSD. So PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's like when you have a traumatic event, you can actually develop like a mental illness that's related to the traumatic event. So there, there are small kinds of traumas, which like Abdu was talking about, like you don't realize how you've been traumatized and it shapes your worldview. That's not PTSD. PTSD is something else. So trauma affects people in multiple ways. Sometimes it just shapes your worldview, which can be really, really damaging. Don't get me wrong. PTSD is a discrete clinical disorder. And then sometimes when you get PTSD time and time and time again, you end up with something called complex PTSD, which really fucks you up. And that's just like a whole different thing that like chronic trauma is very different from like acute trauma. And so there's a huge difference between um, being sexually assaulted once at a party and having like a family member who rapes you repeatedly, like when you're growing up. And, and honestly, what I see in some people is that the chronicness of the hate honestly looks like complex PTSD. And in the people who can't really protect themselves, 
it really warps their view of humanity. It warps their view of themselves. And like, that's just incredibly damaging. And the last thing that I'll say is that I, I think like, you know, people have sort of talked a little bit about the people who are being toxic, which I think is a really, really important discussion. And I personally would love to better understand like where toxicity on the internet comes from. And people have mentioned like anonymity and a couple of other things, but like, I, I really don't know why the internet has become such a hateful place. If, uh, if I can add, just add to that. Um, so the, the, one of the programs that we don't ever really advertise on our sites uh, is, is called our, our CRT or our creator response team. And that effectively is, is us responding to crises related to broadcasters, content creators, esports players. Um, you know, we've, we've treated people who are affiliates or, or just signed into esports. They're on ac uh, academy teams. I've treated double digit, you know, thousand concurrent viewer broadcasters. And it, it's, it's a very unique setting. As we've built more and more experience with this, we've started to better understand kind of the unique landscape emotionally and, and mentally that exists. But uh, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is, is we did an audit after Byron's passing of what do content creators tend to come to us the most about? Um, in, in an order, it seems to be imposter syndrome, followed by anxiety, followed by depression, followed by suicidal ideation. It, it seems to hit across the board. And, and as this individual, their view counts rise, so too do we see them kind of grab more and more and kind of move more on the severity um, that we tend to see. And inevitably, in our conversations as we're going through, um, and talking about life and, and pain um, comes in the toxicity. Whether this is somebody who hit, is addicted to refreshing live stream fails or addicted to refreshing Twitter because they know or they think that, you know, in their mind, they know something is happening and they just want to be on guard. They just want to, to see it. Maybe they could maintain it, control it, do something. Yep. If only they could catch it fast enough. Yep. Um, it's it's really a nightmare it is. um you know i have creators that that will message me three four in the morning and they'll say i'm i'm thinking about it again you know what somebody had said and it's you know maybe that gives power to somebody who who enjoys being toxic i, I don't like to believe that that's really the mentality of some of these people um but it's it's worth mentioning that it, it, as if you're a viewer like like myself you know i don't create any content but view a lot of content um the amount of time you spend looking at a content creator thinking about these content creators before you skip to the next channel before you you know walk away from your computer uh, doesn't really compare oftentimes to how much they think about you um, how much time they spend thinking about what entertains you what makes you happy what makes you unhappy and, you know, I don't know if I ha really have a point to that so much as that it's, it's just such a painful thing to see in light of how many people choose to be toxic, that the very people you're trying to tear down are the very people who spend so much time mm -hmm. trying to provide mm -hmm. you with something of value. Um, you know, if we could keep that in mind and, and build a community around calling out toxicity, about being very vocal, um, you know, about being very defensive, 
of people and, and not just content creators, but anybody that gets attacked for any reason. Uh, I think we, we find ourselves going into a better place and, you know, hopefully a lot less people that end up in front of our CRT team trying to be talked down. I think we're very, very far from that. And here's why. So I, t I talked to a political streamer that, that I bring on, uh, or that, that comes on regularly and he'll be joining us uh, later tonight. Um, Destiny. And I, I was explaining a situation and he told me that there was actually a word for this. Uh, I forgot what the word is, but it's something where when you see someone else do it, you think the worst possible thing, oh, what a complete asshole disregarding other life, you know, like for speeding, for example, if you see someone else speeding for work, you know, on the internet, it seems like most people will find a way to try to cancel that individual and, and, and you know, label him the worst things. Yet when they speed, in their mind, it's justified because they know they're a good person and they, they know they're only doing it in this situation because of this extreme reasoning and it's justified. So I think this word, I forgot what the wording is. So, someone, someone has to know what this is. Fundamental attribution error. That's what it is. Um, this is what's causing the disconnect. The problem is when people, when people are going live or sorry, when people are typing in chats and saying these things in their mind, they're disconnected with those, with the effect of those words. They're typing it in that moment because they have a certain feeling that that streamer has, has created within them. And in that moment, that singular moment, the effect, the long-term effect of whatever they say to that streamer is irrelevant. Because in that mm -hmm. moment, what they type is justified based on what they felt in that moment. Now, as far as the effect goes, that, that isn't taken responsibility for, or there's no accountability on that. Yep. Because what happens is the individual has that, that, that thing where they rationalize and justify why they did that, how they're a good person. They didn't mean it. You know, uh, the guy's probably good. He's, he's rich anyways. And they find different ways to move on from it without actually directly connecting to the guy saying, Hey, I was, I was, I was mad. Right. This is the issue. And to, to make it worse, to, to, to further lead, lead us down the denial, since there is no face to face, you know, personalized connection, a lot of the times there isn't a, I don't want to say incentive. I want to say, uh, there, there isn't an inclination to reach out further and apologize and clarify the context of their, uh, criticism. Right. So what, what happens is it ends up being, you know, it's this thing that doesn't get tied off and the streamer has takes the certain effect, you know, dissects it the way he dissects it through how he perceives the world and others' opinions of him and different things. And then that individual moves on thinking nothing's going on. But in reality, that one singular criticism has now, you know, led to 16 different pathways of uh, uh, self-deprecation or is deprecation the right word? Yeah, De deprecation and 15 different avenues of just complete and utter shit. So, the, mm -hmm. So the, the issue is that the, the issue is no one really understands the, the long-term effect of some of their criticisms and some of their words and, so, and no one understands. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dr. K. So no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So the, the last thing I was going to say was, I think the only way we can, we can fill this gap and, and, and somehow connect that area that's disconnected is have people understand there's some sort of comparison, even though comparisons are a terrible thing when it comes to like mental disorders and stuff, but you've got to find things in, in, that they can relate to. So for example, like if I'm in high school and I'm seeing people face to face, when you start writing things on the internet that you feel about this person, you truly believe, but none of them are substantiated, but you're kind of just throwing it in there and you truly believe it. 
This is no different than a rumor being started and people whispering in the corners of the hallways and you're walking by and you know exactly what they're thinking despite who you actually are and what you're actually doing and your couple friends that have your back and speak up for you, their voices aren't heard because it doesn't match their narrative. It's the same exact thing, but no one can compare the two because for some reason, since it's on the internet, people have this weird inclination to believe it's not as impactful. That it's, oh, it's, I'm just, he just saw some words on, typed yeah. in his chat. He probably just banned it. He sees 10,000 messages a day. There's so many ways to rationalize and justify why it, it's not as effective as an in-person criticism. And that's what I want to go into. But anyways, go ahead, Dr. K. So first I have a question. Then maybe I have a disagreement with most people here. And then if you guys will permit me, I will have a rant and then I will go to bed. Sounds My like a kids plan. are going to wake up in about six hours. That's what I, want. I want it to get real rowdy. I want to hear a lot of fucks being thrown around in that Same. room. So the first question <laughs> is like, so, so like brilliant point, right? The fundamental attribution error. Great. So then the question is, why isn't everyone toxic? Because everyone has the fundamental attribution error. Can I answer that? Or is that more? Yeah, yeah, please. So why isn't everyone toxic? I think everyone. Okay. So I believe this is my. Obviously, it's not, I mean, I have no proof behind this, so I don't know if I can use this language. I've been, I have this like PTSD now because I've been put into my head where I can't say certain things based on some streamers, but I'm going to ignore that for today. I feel like everyone is toxic somewhere, right? So just because we don't see it, right? So like, for example, I think a lot of uh, toxicity comes from like a, some psychological thing of like physical, like the surface level physical appearance, right? I think some people, when you look at them to others, they may be able to re- relate to the way you look and say, oh, you know, I like this guy. He looks this way. Or, whereas someone else that may not. I think some people bring out the insecurity in others. Some people make themselves feel better about themselves. So I think you can find somewhere, some place, a level of toxicity. And, 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 and here's why I say that. If you notice, the most quiet, nicest people, usually, it takes a while to bring it out, but usually, not always, are, are the darkest. And I think somewhere the toxicity is being projected we just don't see where, and they all have a chat somewhere where the same thing that's happening with some people in my chat, and they're being nice to me in mine, they, they have the equivalent where the, the toxic people in my chat are nice in another, but they're, and, and then the nice people in my chat are toxic in another. Does that make sense? So I think- Sure. Saying, so I think yeah. that's a good answer, but I, I okay, go ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm not, so let, let, me just, let, let me just jump in. So I think that's a good answer. So like, the, but I, I still don't really agree with you, but I think it's a good answer, and I agree with- a lot of the essence of it. So let me start by saying this. So I think that every person has good and evil in them. And I think it's fair to say that like people are toxic in different places. Yeah. But I also think that they're generally speaking, some people that are just like good on the internet, like sure, they may not be sunshine and rainbows everywhere. But I think there's a big difference who, you know, like, is is like sexually harassing female streamers or male streamers on Twitch and like people who watch Twitch who are like generally speaking like decent human beings. Yeah. If you played an online game, you know that not everyone is an asshole, right? Like, and, and it's not like, and I don't think that there are some people who are just assholes just in one slice of the internet yeah. and they're amazing and other, like that could be true. But I think that they're like, generally speaking, they're decent people on the internet who generally speaking mm. interact with other people decently and across all platforms. So, you know, sure, but I, I concede the point that, you know, there's variable toxicity across different platforms or streamers or, or chats or whatever. I think the streamer has a lot to do with the kind of tone that they set and attracts a particular kind of community. 100%. Um, 
But, and so let me just start by saying, so there's a principle like in public health called positive deviance, which presumes that the answer to problems already exists. You don't have to find the new answer because there are people who are doing it successfully already. Yeah. So like the answer to what, you know, how to prevent suicidal people becoming depressed is actually an asking the answer already exists because there are people who are depressed who are not killing themselves. You just have to go and investigate that. And that's where your answer comes from. And, and so I think that, you know, it's, and now we get to, I think the general criticism that I have of a lot of perspectives here is that we all are making assumptions about what is in the mind of a toxic person. Like everyone here has made assumptions. They're like, okay, it's the fundamental attribution error. This is what they're doing. It's anonymity. This is what they're doing. And all of those assumptions make sense. They're scientifically backed. But I think the biggest problem and, and I, the biggest problem is that we don't know because no one talks to these people, right? Like, so, so a big thesis by which I live my life is good diagnosis precedes good treatment. If you want to fix a problem, you have to understand it. And I think one of the problems that we actually face blew my mind. So I had a group of female streamers come on and then we, they were talking about like, you know, how they're treated like shit in video games. And at the end, I was stunned to hear them say, yeah, we'd like to hear like a stream where you're talking to a group of toxic assholes because we want to understand what's going on with them. And I think if we want to change culture, like we can't just come up with solutions without understanding the problem, because I think there are good people out there and I think there are bad people out there. I used to be like a super toxic dude like playing Warcraft 3 when I was 21. And then I like learned how to be a decent human being. Because no one had taught me how to that. Mm -hmm. That's the key. I agree with that last part a lot. Because I, I took it upon myself yeah. to make that so, happen. So this is, this is also where, like, I actually think, and, and I tend to be, like, pretty idiotic when it comes to optimism. Um, but I, I don't think that this is... So fixing the fundamental attribution error, I agree, is going to be decades or millennia-long process. Yeah. But I have faith that we can actually make significant strides within this community within one to five years. And the reason is because we aren't tackling it in like an appropriate way. And the first reason is how the fuck are we going to come up with any kind of solution unless we talk to the source of toxicity and ask the guy, why do you go on Amaranth stream and call her a C word? Right? Like, why do you do that? Like, what's actually in your head when you do that? You know, like, like, what's going on, man? Like, what prompts you to do this? And first, we have to understand, like, why they do this. The second thing that needs to happen is like, so, so this is the cool thing, because I think the very things that we think are our enemies are actually our friends, because Twitch can be a force for good. Like, sure, like everyone talks about Twitch chat, like it's a super toxic place. Yeah. And, and, but like, if you really like stop and you actually like give, like, I feel like Twitch chat is a kid who's misbehaving. And like, if you put faith I mean, in the kid and you treat the kid with 100%. a little bit of respect, you will be surprised what they do. It's accurate. Yeah. We got a group of people talking about porn addiction. And it is like, so even worse than Twitch chat is YouTube comment section. Have you guys <laughs> seen the cesspool that yeah. is YouTube comment section? Mm -hmm. There are a few places in, uh, in the internet that are worse than Twitch chat. YouTube comment section is one of them. I was blown away by the inspiring comments in our porn addiction stream. <laughs> Dudes who are talking about how they can't stop jerking off. Like, can you paint a bigger bullseye on your back for the internet? And like, 
all we see is, wow, these guys are courageous. Wow, that's amazing. Like, I can really relate. Like, it blows my mind. So the first thing is, I think that there's like, they're like, there's goodness out there. Like, I'm with you, Train. There's toxicity out there. There's toxicity in each and every one of us. And boy, do I feel it whenever I play a game of fucking Dota. And it's like, you just want to flame everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, because it's everyone else's fault. So like, we all have that within us. I'm with you there. Second thing is we have to like actually talk to the sources of toxicity. Ooh. We have to understand like where they're coming from. Well, now, now this is my rant, by the way. I'm segueing. Okay. You guys had. Notes. I have one thing to say. I'll say it after. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So what I feel like it is, it's a lack of social awareness. And I feel like it's getting worse and worse as time goes by because of things like the internet, because of things like social media, because of situations where you can't be face to face and read someone's obvious body language. So now how the hell is someone going to read it over the, you know, fucking internet, right? The issue mm-hmm. is, right? So my biggest issue is so I, li- I see a lot of people justify toxicity toward me by saying, well, I'm toxic, trains toxic. He talks a lot of shit to his chat. But the problem is the main issue I see. I don't see toxicity as evil. I think most of the people, even the most toxic, are decent human beings and they're nice guys. You know, I, that, that's what I truly believe. Most of them are. The issue is the lack of social awareness. And through that, you could possibly maybe in some situations assume a lack of self-awareness because of that. Because if you know yourself and what situations you don't want to hear something and what situations you do, you can kind of from there a little bit understand where someone else wouldn't. The issue is people blanket the time and place to shit talk, right? So what I mean by that is, I'll, I'll further clarify because that made no sense. What I mean is, so for example, it, I have a two-hour segment in the beginning of my stream where people, you know, say I'm bald, say I'm old, say I'm ugly, blah, 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 and I roast them back off their usernames and it just ad hominem attacks that are completely immature and toxic, but it's a good time. Now, when that ends and I start talking about serious things, there are a group of people that don't understand, okay, train, put two hours aside, he's in a goofy mood, he's shit talking, we're shit talking. Now we've hit a serious point. We had the two hours. Now I can see from Crane's body language, it's time to put that side of me away and let me actually give him some good, you know, rhetoric and, you know, some good responses and give him my opinion. People don't have that awareness to transition and understand the time and place. And I think this is, this is instilled within you either at childhood or it's instilled within you through the experiences that you learn from a face to face connection, uh, uh, through activities that you do in person versus the internet. And this is getting worse. Therefore, People don't understand that time and place. When I'm in a serious rant and people are shit talking, I'm going to snap. I'm no longer in the place. But then they respond as, you're playing victim. You were just shit talking three hours ago. And then it boggles my mind that they can't understand. Three hours ago, it was a different mood. It was a different setting. That this should be an obvious thing that most people, that some people understand, but some people don't. So in my opinion, it's not necessarily the toxicity. It's the lack of awareness of when it's appropriate and when it's not. And this is what needs to be like educated upon. Or, 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 I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just going to say that's a really good point. That's something that I firmly believe in as well. And I'd like to know Dr. K and Jason's perspective as well and what you guys see. I really do think the internet is training people to be just perpetual fucking losers in a certain respect. A lot of people can't recognize things that when we were growing up were pretty basic things. Knowing when something is an appropriate response to something when, you know, now's the time for joking and when it's not. And I think with the internet taking away a lot of those personalizations and a lot of those experiences... People just don't recognize what is appropriate and how things are going to be picked up by people. And when it's not picked up the way they think it's going to be, they get even more aggressive about it, doubling down in an effort to, yeah. you know, maybe not look mm. silly or something like and that. And I like, so, before we get to that question, let's have Dr. K finish the thing we were on. Then we yeah, get I'm, I'm going to finish my rant. Okay, so so yeah. I'm with you guys, right? So like, like, this is where we, like, 
some of us had good role models, right? That taught us how to interact with other human beings. And, and I think that those role models are out there. And so like, you may say, well, yeah, how do we get all these like people, toxic people on the internet, good role models. If only we had a platform where one person could actually reach 10,000 so that one person could serve as a role model for 10,000 instead of like my uncle that served a role model for me as a role model for me, right? If only we had tools where we could educate masses of people at the same time, like maybe we could do something about the problem if we had tools like that. Right. That's why I kind of think from what I've been listening to you guys, like ultimately the source of it seems to be a lack of empathy from multiple angles for like considering like how other people feel when you say something, if you're being a toxic person, to also being a bystander of it. If you don't like the creator and you see someone shooting on them, a lot of times they say nothing because they don't care. You know, so, let me ask you guys a question. What percentage of the player base in League of Legends do you think needs to be positive before you see a dent in toxicity? That's another thing that I often think about as well, because it's going to, no one's ever going to think somewhere's completely toxic free. It takes one person to ruin someone's entire mood. And you're going to base that entire community off that one negative experience you had with one asshole. So what, give me a percent moist. I'd say there really is no percent. Everyone, no matter who it is, they're going to have one negative experience and attribute it to the entire community, regardless okay. of how actual toxic people mm. are. Anyone want to toss out a percent? Uh, I would say 80%. Um, why, and the reason why I say that is because positive people are much less likely to, you know, just sit out there tossing up the most positive comments and negative people are, they, they have, I don't know what it is, but negative people have this type of fuel. That's just doesn't make sense. So are you, are you, um, defining this by people that are neutral or people who are actively campaigning for positivity in these games actively like, so just like Abdu said, great question, Devin. Um, I, I'm saying like actively campaigning for positivity. Less than 10%, probably 5%. Mm -hmm. I completely oh, okay. agree. So yeah, I is okay, yeah. 10%. And let me tell you mm -hmm. why. So so generally speaking here, I, I don't play much League of Legends. I play Dota. But like, here's what happens in a game of Dota. Better, right? better like, game. So like someone starts, like someone starts flaming. And then I, I actually, you know, so I try to be positive. And then I'll like talk to them. I won't flame them back. And I'll be like, Hey man, like, do you really just, do you have to say that? Like, I understand that this guy fed and lost his lane, but like, is flaming him really going to help? Like, right. I mean, have you ever fed and lost a lane? Like, let's, like, let's, let, let's lay off. Mm -hmm. a little bit. You'd be surprised at how well that works. I get fucking commended and like shit every game. Everyone's like, yeah, I, I spent a, uh... it, it doesn't take much. So now here's the question. If there is one person, so like, let's say you have a toxic asshole and then you tell them, Hey man, do you really need to do that? And then they call me a cunt and they start flaming me. The second game, someone says the same thing. They call them a cunt and they do the same thing. Third game, they, they do the same. Fourth game, the same thing happens. They call them a cunt. By the time the seventh, eighth or ninth game in a row where someone is asking this person, like, Hey man, do you really have to say that? I think they're going to shut the fuck up. All it takes is one person in a game, but at least one person in the game. It takes 10% of the population of the player, like of, of the player base to start putting a dent in toxicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I used to play League of Legends and from about 2012 to 2015, 
I had this crazy idea to run a stream about like positivity in League of Legends because it was so toxic. And that was like basically the theme of the stream. And it was exactly that. Like we had a really small community of people that would just say positive stuff to people and never flame. I got like tons of honors in the game. I had all kinds of like accolades and stuff like that. And it worked. Like it well, like so many games were saved because like it was like, hey man, like just don't tilt, like push through it. We can win. It's gonna be good. Um yeah. it, it it's like you can be a, a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's shocking to me how little, like, we're so hopeless about this situation, but there has been, like, no kind of concerted effort whatsoever. And yeah. so this is the second phase of my rant. So as a community, I think we need to change a couple of really fundamental things. And I think this podcast is an awesome step in the right direction. So we've talked a lot about, like, I think RAD is an amazing organization. We send a bunch of our people from Help Gamer to let us know if we're overflowing. Because people come to our community and they're like, oh, maybe I should get help. I can't afford it. And I'm like, well, Rad may be able to help you with that. Please apply. So thank you very much, Jason, for all the work that you do. And the really quick aside, sorry, very quickly, um, we are going to take a segment where Jason explains like what Rad is and why it matters. And you get, we're past $4,000 in donations, guys. Um, keep it up. Thank you. Uh, great. Yep, sorry. Um, so let, let me just share a couple thoughts about like mental health in this community. So the first thing is that like, so a lot of people wonder if what I do on stream is therapy. And that's like, it's like a good ethical question. It's an important discussion that needs to be had. And I think that there's a part of me that just gets infuriated by the question because what I do on stream is be a normal human being. If you guys have been in mental health treatment, like you understand, or maybe you'll understand the difference. So like maybe all Therapy conversations are emotional, but not all emotional conversations are therapy. And somewhere along the way, as a society, we started thinking that taking care of our mental health is only like treatment. And if we think about it, like, are there things that we do for our physical health that can improve physical outcomes that are not medicine? Yeah, of course. Like what? Exercise. Um, Absolutely. Any kind. Yeah. So do you know what regular activity. exercise, what the effect size of regular exercise is compared to anti-cholesterol medication for heart disease? It's astronomical. It's, it's, it's insanely beneficial. It is insanely beneficial, about as good as cholesterol medication. Mm -hmm. So you can take a cholesterol pill or you can exercise. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, when it came to the mind, we stopped doing any kind of mental exercise or emotional nutrition. There's nothing like that. Right. So we somewhere along the way as a society, we stopped recognizing that there is mental health stuff that is not like mental treatment. Like not everything that you do that is therapeutic is therapy. And so the first thing that I think we need to understand as a community is like, like we're saying, what should you do? Train is like, get them to a fucking talk to their parents, talk to their psychiatrist, get them help. But there are also other really important things. I mean, uh, you know, I, I can't impress upon you all because it sounds like many people were close to Byron. Like Byron struggled, my understanding anyways, that he had struggled with these problems for a long time. And I think your presence was a profound positive impact in his life. That treatment has a very important place, but mental health, just like physical health, is way more than medicine. And the sooner we get that as a community, the better off we're going to be. We have to understand that like we've got to take care of each other and like being a supportive friend counts for a lot because I think less than half of people or sorry, more than half of people who experience mental illness never get treatment. 
And how do they survive it? It's because they do things that are therapeutic or other people support them in a non-medical way. So the most effective treatment for alcohol, I mean, alcohol sobriety is not psychiatry or psychology or therapy. It's AA. Some of the most effective treatments that we have to overcome addiction, literally the most effective treatment that we have to overcome addiction is not even a treatment at all. And so we need to understand that as a community and we need to start thinking about like, what can we do to take care of our mental health? RAD absolutely is an, a, a really important organization, but everyone is asking the question, what can I do as a friend? And like, you've got to understand that like, it's, it, you don't just punt them to psychiatrists and that's the end of the story because they're going to struggle to see their psychiatrist. Their psychiatrist isn't going to understand them. They're going to be prescribed medication yeah. that makes them fat and then they're not going to want to take it. And then as a friend, like it's your responsibility to say, Hey, like instead of just stopping the medication, why don't you go talk to your psychiatrist? Be there for them. Yeah. Critical. Just to clarify, I was referring like for the parents and medica uh, parents and psychologists or psychiatrists, I was referring like in the extreme uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sta instances of mania and depressive states. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's completely appropriate. And like when it's really, really bad, you don't have, I mean, you try to get them into treatment. So next thing that we need to do, like as a community is I think like a multi-level like approach. And what I mean by that is like, we need, cause, cause like you guys are saying, these are, these are problems of self-awareness and like the lack of role models is my opinion. And, and the, what I base that on is by talking to toxic assholes and like asking people who used to be toxic assholes, why aren't you a toxic asshole anymore? And there's a great, there, there's a, there's a pretty prominent esports, uh, player who I, I won't name, but he was kind of telling me how he used to be a toxic asshole. And then someone who he like kind of looks up to a lot, sat him down and he was like, Hey man, you got to stop this stuff. And he's like, why? It's just words. Right. And he was like 15 or 16 at the time. And then like through several conversations through someone he respects, he changed his behavior. And like, this is what has to happen because people don't understand what they're doing. They're like, like train said, there's no self-awareness and no one has ever taught them this stuff. So I don't know exactly how we teach it, but I've been thinking long and hard, especially about like sexual harassment and sexual assault and all, all these kinds of things. Like people need, I honestly think people need like education and training first and foremost. Yes. Like a lot of these guys out there need to be taught, like there's like incel and red pill kind of communities yeah. and they, they learn a particular way of like yeah. interacting with the opposite sex. Yeah. They're like, what's the counterpoint to red pill? Like, what, who else is teaching men how to relate to women? The problem is, I think, so I deal with this a lot, right? My community oftentimes is called incel, but I feel like the people that are uh, uh, pointing at that are more incel than at all. Because like everything I tolerate and I ban, I do not perpetuate any of that. Like I don't, none of that. Like anything is permanent instantly. I rant against that kind of behavior. And then the communities that call it have no uh, boundary there. And I, so like the, there's this weird thing where, yeah, I mean, as far as the education part goes, like there needs to be, <sighs> so it's a, it's, so, it's, it's a wild, wild west right now. That, that's the problem. Yeah, there's no so, oversight. So the other thing is that like, I, I think we don't support our mods well enough as a community, right? So I don't know like what kind of like training mods go through, but I think mods should go through training. Oh, like right. mods should like learn how to deal with like conflict resolution and stuff like that. That's kind of stuff that we're, we're thinking about. So I think like one thing that needs to happen is like we, it, you know, if you stream or you're a public figure, you serve as a role model and people are yes. going to follow you. Holy right? shit. So, like, I vibe with that like, really hard. 
I actually, yeah. real quick, I'm so sorry to like uh, butt in. I actually feel like, I'll, I'll be quick with this. I'm sorry. I, I feel like we need to get away from that, actually. I feel like. Yeah, I argue with Trade about this a lot. <laughs> I, I feel like, here, here's what I feel like, okay? I feel like that puts the individual, if they have a mental disorder or if they don't, it puts them at more of a, an area where it pushes them in that direction of negativity. And here's what I mean. The standards at which all of us, you know, some of us might have a reasonable description to what a role model is, but the yeah. standards at which a role model are held to in the public's eye, it is such an unrealistic standard that it will make you go insane. It will push you to areas where even if you have to act this way, you will break whether it's in private and no one knows about it or anywhere else. I think we need to get away from that and normalize that the person you're watching is no different than you. He's getting off stream. He's jerking off the same way you're jerking off if you're a man, if you're not, you know, whatever the hell. He's making the same mistake. He's irritated the same way you are. He's unhappy and happy the same way. He's hungry. He's not. It needs to be normalized. Like this idea that like we're some sort of superhuman and you need to follow our footsteps. I mean, this isn't a situation where we're, you know, getting our medical degree with a 4.0 GPA with two majors, you know, three, uh, shadowing, uh, experiences, two internships. Half of streamers, Right. Like they haven't even gone through enough life experience or enough uh, uh, to, to teach them accountability, responsibility of their own stuff. How can these people be role models? And I think that it pushes the standard onto them and this responsibility that, that they're not ready for. And I think that also uh, 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 um, affects them negatively. Absolutely. So, so I, I don't think that that you, what you and Devin are saying, I, I don't disagree with either point. I think those can both coexist. So I, I think, think unfortunately, train. You are a role model. Yeah, that's what I would say too. Right? Damn, so, I feel so bad for some parents' kids. Yeah, so so I think it's unfair. You are whether you would have it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's it's unfair to you, absolutely. It pressures you, absolutely. Pushes you in, into a place with uh, of negativity, absolutely. Which brings me to my next point. So you're a role model. We need to support streamers better. So I think like the CRT program at Rad is fantastic, right? But it needs to be like more than that. Like it's not just if you're falling apart and you're having a manic episode. It's like, so I've been working a lot. I've learned so much about imposter syndrome and I've really dug into it because it's, it's an area of like psychiatry and psychology that there are papers and stuff about. But I, I think we're seeing a whole, like the emergence of a whole new like diagnosis in our society. Can I ask so a like, question? Yeah. I'm so sorry again to cut you off. So I'm really, I really do apologize. I want to ask you a quick question. So here is the issue that I find with uh, uh, the role model thing. Okay. It, it, it takes us right back to the lack of experience to be able to read the situation correctly. And let me explain what that means. So I am who I am, right? My personality is a piece of me. It's a part of me. Even if I try to somehow censor it, it would, it would change me to a point where I don't think I could continue. I just, I, it would destroy the essence of who I am. So when I talk to Adept or Fandy or any, you know, anyone else, the way I talk, the problem with being seen as a role model and, and advocating toward this is the people in chat that are looking at me to learn they're not learning the context because this, the context can't be taught. That is something that I don't know if it's instilled as a kid or as a parent, you know, a parent instills within you. I don't know if it's you're born with that. I don't know if you have to go through life experience, but the problem is they blanket the way you talk to people that know who you are and they believe they can talk like that to other people, but it's inappropriate. The way I talk to my friends, they understand where I'm coming from, but if they blanket that and they reciprocate that and they do this or imitate sure. it, it's going to end up in situations where, right, we're getting into everything we we're talking about earlier. Does that make so, sense? So I, I, yeah, I think, I think that, so these are not reasons that I think, I wouldn't say that I 
disagree with you. I think those are important factors mm-hmm. which need to be accounted for in our solution. Okay. Right. I, I don't think it changes the fact that you're a role model. It just means that like the bar of education has gotten a little bit higher, which we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Cool. So Sorry. I think it starts at the top, right? Okay. So it starts with like streamers being role models, us supporting streamers so that because you can't be a good role model and you can't serve like you can't be your best self if you're feeling like shit all the time and dealing with like negativity and toxicity. Right. So you can't be empathic or compassionate. We, uh, uh, I think Jason was talking about caregiver burnout, which is very real. And like what burnout comes from, like, so lack of empathy comes from burnout. And as streamers, like streamers as a group, we're just all fucking burnt. I mean, I'm not, but like, I think most, like most streamers are like super, super burnt out. I'm lucky enough to where I, you know, I don't stream that much. But even then, like I'm exhausted after streaming for two hours, three days a week. Like I'm wiped for the rest of the day. I have no idea how some of y'all do this for like eight hours, 10 hours. It's nuts. Yeah. It's so mentally insanity. Bad. Is it possible to be past the point of burnout where you don't realize you are anymore? Sure. You bark to a crisp. That's probably what it is. Then. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you guys hit, hit some sort of like toxic equilibrium in terms of your self-care where you're able to like trudge through the coal mine of your life yeah. and continue mining coal. It sounds about right. Absolutely. So I, I think train, it starts at the top role. Like, so we serve as role models. We need to be better supported so that we can be the best role models that we can be. Second thing that needs to happen is we need to like train mods because mods at the end of the day, like it's, we're not like mods are the front line, man. Like being a mod has to be tough. Like they do, they work so hard and we need to support mods and train them. And that's, that's even something that we're not doing a great job of in our community, which we're actually like actively working on. So we're thinking about creating like mod support groups and mod training and things like that. And the last thing that I think we need to do is like, like connect with our community directly. Right. And this goes back to the idea that, you know, if we can, if we can turn 10% of the Dota players and all we have to ask them to do is like, say like a couple of sentences, every game, you just need 10% of the population. And I think you'll start to see a shift. And the last thing is that I think we need to offer alternative resources. So this is, this is how I'm thinking about the problem and what I plan to do about it. Alternative resources for these like toxic people on the internet to understand these things. Like when you say context can't be taught, it absolutely can because you learned it from somewhere. Otherwise you wouldn't understand it. Right. Like you can oh, absolutely true. teach it. I meant like it, it has to be learned through like a trial and error type of thing. Sure. Like, so but, I mean. All kinds of things need to be learned through trial and error that you can teach people, right? Like you can do that. And, and so I think like this is basically what we've got to do. Like we've, we've got to create resources for like people. And I think this is also where we don't have a safe space for people to express toxic ideas without getting pitchforked. True. Like the problem right now is that we have either you're in the echo chamber where it's like super toxic. Or you go into a woke space where if you say anything out of line that's like True. not woke, you get banned. I would so hug you be, right now. I would hug you. I would, there I'd give there you needs kiss. to be a place where like these people where, you know, the, like yes. with the esports guy, someone sat him down and they had like a non-judgmental conversation about what they're doing is wrong. Instead, what we've got is like everyone get out your pitchforks and white knights to the rescue and you're a toxic asshole. There's no attempt at understanding on either side. There's no attempt to educate. That's right. It's There's a, just crucifixion. A lesser evil and a greater evil. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, I agree. And and so I think like this, like we have to engage with these people, right? Like there's some guy who gave this TED talk about like converting Ku Klux Klan members. And he's like a black dude. And he like goes and he talks to them. 
And they have all these conditioned beliefs about what black people are. And then they meet one. And so like, we need to teach our community, like how to talk to girls. We need to teach people who work in esports what is appropriate behavior and what is not appropriate behavior. If, if there is a girl or not just a girl, if there's anyone whose job it is to be nice to you, don't hit on them. Just don't hit on them because it's their job to be nice to you. Yeah. If, if you invite a girl up to your room to hang out, don't invite her under some kind of pretense. Cause I don't know if you guys have been reading these like twit longer stories, but like there are all these people who invite people to their room under one pretense and then they make a pact. And it's like, if there's a drunk girl at an after party and you tell her, yeah, you can crash on my couch. You better not hit on her. Like once she gets up there, like that's just bad. You don't yeah. do that. But I think the problem is that like so much of our community, like doesn't know how to like with the sexual harassment and sexual assaulting, I think like they just don't know how to interact with women. And I don't think that that excuses their interaction, uh, their, their behavior. I don't think that they shouldn't be held accountable. But what I'm saying is if we want to fix this, punishing the people that, that come to the surface for the most egregious problems is only the, the first step. Because for every person who commits sexual assault or sexual harassment, there are 10 baby versions of that person in our community growing up right now. And we have to stop them. We have to teach them because mm-hmm. one of those 10 is going to grow up into someone who sexually assaults a, like a woman who's been drinking because they've been drinking. And don't even get me started on substance use in our community because that's like, that's a whole other thing. Dr. K, I just want to give you like the tiniest bit of feedback just from our streamer perspective, yeah. hearing the things that you say so that we can find a solution because... I'm totally on board with you and finding all this, but like hearing it, I have to admit my, my train of thought is like, okay, I've tried things like that. And then people escalate because now I'm giving them attention. And then also it's really annoying to call out somebody in the chat and then like six people go, don't give them attention. Keep doing Uh you like that. That's infuriating too, you know, and that adds to the problem because it's like, uh, okay, like, can you just. Let me experiment talking with these people. But anyways, um, so there's that part, which is a sidebar. But then the main part is like people escalating. And then, well, now they're jumping in and they're saying the N-word. And so I have to shut that call off right away and I have to, you know, and then it's like a backfire because it's like, okay, I never want to do that again because it's giving them the spotlight and and they're making it worse. And then it's like there's so much that goes into trying to reach out to the top. So so let, let me be clear. So I don't think you should do that live on stream. What I'm mm-hmm. talking about is a space that's separate because I completely agree with you. That is a terrible, mm-hmm. like that's just feeding the fire. Mm-hmm. Right? So w- what I'm saying is like that, like as a streamer, I, I think we have a particular responsibility. Mm-hmm. We need to I be agree. that's separate from like the mod thing. And that's separate from the community thing. Right. So like, I, I think like, this is what's cool is like, we actually have ways of interacting with our community that don't have to be live on stream. That's a huge asset. So do you think that the person that comes in randomly and says one toxic thing, I mean, you're not referring to them when you say our community, right? Cause I don't consider that exactly. I no, but that's what I do is I just ban them. But like, I don't consider that a part of the community. Sure. Maybe the Twitch community overall, but not like my personal community. So, so I'm not sure exactly where this happens, but like, that's part of what I'm figuring out. And I'd love it if you guys have thoughts about it. But like, I, I think like our discord is like a good example where we, you know, we ban a lot of people too. 
But I, I would love it if we could have like a safe space where people could like we could actually talk to people who exhibit toxic behavior and we could try to like have because, you know, I mean, it's happened on stream with me, too. Like where, you know, if you try to engage with someone on stream, like all they're looking for are the lulls. Yeah, they're, like they're, they're not they're not willing to engage you in any way, shape or form mm -hmm. in any kind of meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing is that we do know from like positive deviance, for example, that these conversations can happen. We just have to like duplicate those. And I think it happens more granularly at the community level, like not at the streamer level. It has to happen like on discords, right? It has to happen mm -hmm. like with mods. It has to happen like on Reddit. Like these are the places where once again, I think if we can hit like 10% of people, we may see a change. Uh, but I, I really appreciate your feedback, Adept, and I completely agree mm -hmm. with you that trying to have a non-judgmental conversation with someone who's trolling you on stream is just going to fuel the fire and is completely mm -hmm. unproductive. Okay. Oh, no, I, and, and I appreciate that. Like, that cleared it up for me because I was like, you know, I, I want to help the community overall. And, and I know that, Train, I get that you don't think that we should be role models or we should take that off of people, you know, but for me personally, gaining a community, gaining an audience has made me realize that I do have the power. I do have the influence and I, I need to start critiquing and, and structuring my own life and my own behavior so that I can help, you know, anyone else who's been through the same struggles as myself or whatever. And so, yeah, I just appreciate you clearing that up for me, Dr. K. Yeah. Th thanks for the feedback. So I, mm -hmm. I unfortunately, I got to run because it's way past my bedtime and I'm, I'm particularly sad because it looks like we have a couple more people who I really <laughs> are talking to. Um, and sorry, oh, get out. It's okay. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for letting me rant for a little while, Doctor um, K. It was abs. It, it was it was it was an honor. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed having you on. I you know I my community has been telling me to talk to you for a while. I've kind of been in a you know uh, yeah. Sure. So I, 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 I kind of got my feet wet here, and I'm, I'm actually yeah. We'll, we'll set something up. It, okay. It was, cool. it was I, mean, I don't like it when when people pressure other people to come talk to me. I think yeah. It, I let them know. So, yeah. I let them know that it's not appropriate. It's not, I don't think that that's good. Yeah, it's not a content. It's so I, I don't want you to feel pressured. Yeah, I appreciate okay. that. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate yeah. it, guys. Please give some love to Dr. K, Healthy Gamer underscore GG. It was he came. It was supposed to be an hour. He stayed a long, long time. We're talking three hours, three and a half hours. He's been here. So a lot of love to him. Too entertaining, train. Can I, can, oh my God! Hold on. I hate to like intrude on your man. time. Can I ask you one question, and then sure. I went back and forth. I'm just super curious because this is something that I've wrestled yeah. with um, for a long time in my life. Um, this concludes part one of this episode of the Trainwrecks TV Scuffed Podcast. Tune in to part two to finish the episode. For news and updates regarding the podcast and streams, follow at Trainwrecks TV on Twitter.